Guys, have you noticed anything odd about the ground lately? Yeah, actually I have. It keeps shaking and I don't like it. Do you hear noises too? It's like something colossal just woke up. Oh no, it's louder than ever. Maybe if we listen, we'll understand. I keep itching all over. I can't take it. It's time to scratch. Oh no! Hey, Paisanos, it's the Backcheck Brothers Super Show! We're the Backcheck Brothers, and old school are games. We're not like the others. You get all the things. If your back left in trouble, you can call us in the double. We're more retro than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. You're hooked on the brothers. For a treat, so hang on to your seat. Get ready for adventure from RPGs this week. On consoles, computers, handhelds, and the others. Listen to our show, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Yeah, yeah. To the RPG Backtrack, where we talk about computer and console role-playing games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. Welcome back. This is RPG Backtrack, episode 181, Xenomorphing. I am your well-connected host, Phil Willis, and this is your other well-not-so-well-connected host, <laughs> Mr. Mike Minky. That's okay, the filter will take out the fact that Mike actually didn't talk for a few seconds there because he's having internet connectivity issues. But that's okay because... I will probably be heard with a significant delay because AT&T is terrible. (laughs) That's okay, because here at RPG Backcheck, we are all about improvising. I blame AT&T! That was actually the second name of our show, our second backup name for the show today. We blame AT&T. has nothing to do with the game we're talking about, but it sounded like a good title. Uh, anywho, uh, we are talking today about Xenoblade Chronicles. This is a huge game. That is our word for the day. It's a Donald Trump huge. And to help us talk about this huge, massive game, I got a huge cast of RPG staff members. First off, we have Miss Cassandra Ramos. Hello, everybody. How you doing, Miss Cassandra? Good, good. I feel like it's been a little while since you've been on the show. Yeah, just, well, two episodes ago, so not that long ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Well, it's been a while since we've done this episode. We have Mr. Kashua uh, Jarpender. How are you doing, sir? I was wondering what you were going to do with that. I'm doing well. <laughs> what? What was I going to do with what? Well, it's a rite of passage to have your name just butchered on RPG Backtrack, isn't it? What? What do you mean your name butchered? I, I pronounce your name just like it's written here. I, I said it exactly correctly. So you did. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> all right. You get to stay on the show. So how are you doing? Doing all right. Yeah? All right. Fair enough. And uh, I don't know why. I, 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 I don't know why, but she keeps coming back. We got Miss <laughs> Relly Kyan. Darn, I thought that I, we had some new meat so that I could finally get my name pronounced right. 
Uh, I was ramen noodles for years, so... He's never been on before. You have to give him the quiz. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Oh, you know what? You're right. I thought that was just the Elofino double IPA talking to me. Hey, Mr. Kashua. Welcome to your first time at RPG Backtrack. How are you doing? Doing well. Hey, we got a few questions for you, bud. You ready for them? Uh, I hope so. All right. Woo! What's your handle on RP Gamer, and what do you do? Uh, my handle is JS Carp, J-S-C-A-R-P-E, <laughs> and I've been doing editorials and reviews around the site. Cool, cool. Have you reviewed any games lately? Uh, last one I reviewed was Summon Night 6, and that was uh, pretty mediocre. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like we need to prove you, so I'm going to be sending you some retro games uh, that I really need you to go through uh, that may or may not rhyme with Cosmedge and uh mark smyer and i'm just gonna need you to review those just get a little retro review to just show us your reviewing chops it's a trap yeah (laughs) totally not a trap these are these are you know made by quality studios uh so i'm sure they're awesome games and you're gonna have a great time with them totally well uh why don't you give us uh, an overview of your gaming history what what is your what is your story with games oh goodness um probably been gaming just about as long as i can remember some of my very first memories are playing like commodore 64 in my parents living room playing probably like space invaders or whatever it was on the commodore 64 and uh spent most of my childhood more on the pc side than on uh on consoles so as a part of that i i really didn't get into rpgs not not really hard until i got to be an adult and it was really when I got a PSP was when I got really into RPGs. Oh, that's pretty cool. You don't you don't hear that too often. You don't hear people bring up the PSP as part of their rite of passage in RPGs, which well, which is a shame because it has a ton. It's it, well, and it's certain, but it definitely has a, a nice, robust library of RPGs on it. What is what is your favorite type of RPG? Uh, still probably strategy RPGs. I spend a ton of time as a yeah as a kid playing strategy games. I. Thank, thank goodness there wasn't an hours counter on games like Civilization, because Lord knows how many hundreds and hundreds of hours I spent on them and <laughs> as a kid and in high school. Uh, Civilization's not an RPG. I'm going to need you to pick another example so our audience can actually relate to what the hell you're saying. <laughs> Wait, Phil, Goldbox, maybe? Oh, Goldbox. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. I, I just got lost. You started talking like some sort of Swedish language and just totally lost me. Goldbox, got it. All right. What's what's your favorite RPG of all time? Favorite of all time? Trails in the Sky. Easy. Okay. All right. That's a fair choice. It's not Final Fantasy VI, but we'll let you stay on the show. <laughs> At least you didn't say that other game. All right. Uh, awesome. Well, I know you're yeah, going to have... There a- are certain answers that will just get you tossed off immediately. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, absolutely. These are these are the rules, as according to Phil. I can't do anything about them. Well, you know, and and the rules according to Elefino Double IPA, uh, brought to you by Red Rock Brewery. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but we're not here to talk about Goldbox Games, at least not right now, or uh, or Trails of Games. In fact, we are here to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles, and uh, we're going to do that. We got a lot to talk about. This is a huge game with a huge story. So we got a lot to talk about. So we're going to be right back after uh, after this little musical soundtrack. Hold on tight. Xenoblade 
and welcome back. We are going to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles, developed by Monolith Soft, published by Nintendo. Uh, this was uh, released on the Wii in North America on April 6, 2012. Actually, it came up much earlier in Japan. We're going to talk about that on June 10, 2010. Uh, this is a single-player, party-based action RPG experience. And, uh, and and normally, when we start off the show, we like to start talking about... Uh, we usually jump right into the story and the plot. But there's actually a good lead-up story about how we even got this game uh, here in America. So I want to turn that over to our panel to discuss Project or Operation Rainfall, I should say. Uh, who would like to run with that ball? Well, we can start a bit earlier than that, uh, too, because the game had a different name before. It was called Monado Beginning of the World as that little teaser trailer. I don't know how many E3s ago. Yeah, and that was a placeholder on Amazon for ages for what it seemed like. Yeah. But 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 yeah, but then after that, then it finally gets the it's a you know it's a, it's official name Xenoblade. All right. So yeah. but, but talk about uh, what it is for people who've never even heard of any of these terms before. Well, Monado is a wep- the weapon the main weapon in the game, but yeah, and Xenoblade is just a fancy title that they no no no. Of- I mean, talk about the Operation Rainfall. What the what the what the hell is or Operation Monado or whatever? Start tell us what happened. Well, basically, there was a handful of RPGs that were going to be published that were published by Nintendo in Japan, and Nintendo of America said that they pretty much weren't going to bring them out in the U.S. And at first, they were kind of cagey about it, and then that's when the Operation Rainfall started, and they started hammering Nintendo on social media and through emails and stuff like that, just saying, hey, we're really interested in this RPG. Are you going to bring it out to the the United States? And they famously came out and had a, had a form letter and said, we appreciate your interest, but we have no plans on bringing out these games right now. And people got pretty upset, understandably so, because... Um, and it was three games. It was Xenoblade Chronicles, Pandora's Tower, and The Last Story. And pe- people were pretty upset about it, understandably so, because all three of these games were coming to Nintendo of Europe, or c- coming to Europe via being published via Nintendo of Europe. But North America just had no interest in them at that time. They didn't think that they were going to sell very well. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Nintendo changed their mind. And... I'm, I could be mistaken, but nobody knows whether or not Operation Rainfall changed their mind or if they had plans from the get-go. They were just doing PR speak. And, and we'll never know. Although, recall that GameStop initially was the, the I think it was the exclusive uh, seller of that game. Yeah. Which was why it became really hard to find afterwards because it was just one set of stores that sold them. Yeah, it was GameStop and Nintendo's online shop. And that was oh, it. right. Yeah, the online shop too, right. And later on, GameStop or Nintendo had a secret reprint, and GameStop was selling brand new copies as used for ninety dollars. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, and people were kind of pissed about it. Cool, and it was a big deal. Uh, I was so excited when you know they they announced that they were going to come out with these games and. It looked like, you know, for, for once, the Just fans won. Just one of won. the many times that GameStop has ticked people off. <laughs> but it was really cool I that, mean... yay, the fans won. And and out of those three games, my understanding is that by a little bit of a margin, Xenoblade Chronicles is often considered the best <laughs> of the three games we got. 
probably far and above. I mean, I like the last story, but Xenoblade is definitely heads and shoulders above. You know, I, I it was really hard that year for me to pick one out of the three because I enjoyed all three of them pretty well. I liked Last Story's gameplay better, but I liked Xenoblade's story better. All right. Well, uh, speaking of story, this is a this is a good segue. And and we're going to do something a little bit different on the show. If you've listened to the show for a while, you know, hey, we're all about spoilers. We're very spoiler heavy. Uh, and we tell you, if you don't like it, don't don't listen to the main event, which is pretty much, you know, not 80% of our show. Um, because we're just going to get into spoilers and we're not going to take any prisoners. We're going to blow the endings and everything else. For Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, this is such a plot heavy game and it's such a huge part of the game. Uh, I've had it often described to me as probably the most moving story with the most un- the the high the best unseen curveballs and everything else in history. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna run about forty five minutes of sto- of of just talking about the story. If you don't want to be spoiled on the story because you're looking forward to experiencing this uh, this classic for yourself, then we recommend you fast forward to about the forty five minute mark. Um, uh, and I personally will be bowing up because while I played uh, part of this game about two dozen hours in myself, give or take, uh, I don't want to be spoiled because I want to experience this in its in its full full glory and be surprised and everything else along the ways. So with that uh, with that said, uh, I'm going to hand the microphone over to our panel and let them talk about this. So whoever wants to go ahead and start, Miss Cassandra, maybe you go ahead and uh, get, the, get the ball going. Sure. Yeah, I, I've got the beginning mostly down. So the game begins uh, showing these two gigantic beings. Uh, you later find out that they are called the Mechanus and the Bionis. Uh, they were they were they're called gods in Japan and titans in the uh, English release. Uh, they've been fighting each they're fighting each other. They stab each other with their swords and then they go they go still. And so, and however long later, life appears on them. These are these giant gods are basically the world in this strange world. Somehow they it's this vast ocean that has nothing else but these two giant beings. Uh, then it flashes forward to a few years before the events of the game, or maybe it was just a year. I don't quite remember. You see uh, one of the characters who joins later, named Dunban, fighting with some other people. He sort of has the introductory battle there. He's fighting these. Uh, Strange machines called the Mechons that come from the Mechonis. Uh, they are there to wipe out the human race for reasons they don't understand. Uh, they show him fighting with the titular mon- with the Monado sword, which is a sword that the only sword that can affect the Mechons. Um, although it, it, on Dunban's hands, it's it's damaging him. He can't handle it perfectly, and it's uh, hurting him. Uh, after that fight, you are introduced to the main character, Shulk, as well as uh, his best friend, Ryan, and uh, g- another good friend slash love interest, Fiora. Uh, they're in Colony 9, uh, which is a, a, a human settlement on the Bionis. Uh, there's apparently only two colonies left. Presumably there were as many as nine. They never really go into too much detail what happened to the other ones. Um, let me think here. If, if anybody wants to take over at some point, please. Uh, and and at some point, the, at some point, they are attacked by the uh, by the Metcons, even though they thought they had taken care of them before. Before uh, Shulk gets gets the, takes Monado into hand unintentionally, and he finds out that he can wield it perfectly without getting hurt. Uh, Fiora is tragically killed early on, um, and they leave co- those machines leave Colony Nine a wreck. So they, the three, so so they set out. Uh, Shulk and Ryan, I think, just begin with set out to take revenge on the Mechons. Um, let me think here. What happens after that? 
there's just so much like there is so much to this story and i know it's a fantastic story but so much happens and i can't keep straight exactly what happens in what order see i did so many side quests that by the time i got back to the main story i kind of forgot what was going on I could, I could follow what was happening then. It's just that I haven't played it in several years, so it's a long yes. game. Yeah, same here. Yeah, it, it's been like I, I've been reading synopses to get ready for it, and there's so many of the the little twists and turns that I've just forgotten. And it's only been a couple of years since I played it, but still. <laughs> and I played this as soon as it came out, and like shortly after it came out in North, maybe not soon after, because I'm sure I was playing something else, and it took me, I imagine, months to play through this game, but. Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to remember what happened. Wow. So after this... that, they were trying to go after it. The, the one who killed Fiora was. Oh, yes, that's right. Face? A, yeah, the, the metal face, the special, a special mechon that has a face. Because before they just kind of looked like uh, just machines. They don't look like they didn't look like Android like it at the least. And that one, the Monado was unable to, d- to damage for some reason. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, he starts talking in a later encounter, I think. Pretty mean, nasty guy who shows up in smash brothers curiously enough as an obstacle yeah uh, so after that it was uh shulk and and uh ryan go off to the other human colony like colony six is the next colony place they go to yes that's right they meet uh charla yeah who's and, uh ryan's love interest um let's see here and uh i think the metcons yeah metcons and metal face also attack there uh, they managed to fight him off. Uh, part, much of the game, a lot of the side quests are actually devoted to rebuilding Colony 6, as I recall. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember. Uh, let me think here. What else happens after that? That that was about the point in the game where you get that, where you, um, uh, wasn't that the one where you come out on the thigh? <laughs> it's part of the great thing about the game is like the art design. So you're yeah. working your way up the, uh, up the different tight up the Titan and then across and then over to the other one. But you come, that's right about the point where you come out on the thigh and you're able to see both of the Titans off in the distance. Mm-hmm. And that, that was just kind of, I remember, I still remember that point is like being the most, like one of the more amazing things in the game. That first time you get that view way off in the distance of Makanis. Like, wow, the, the, like, you really are on, on a gigantic being that's like a landmass, but vertical. It is pretty amazing. Yeah, you're like an ant crawling up a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got that sense. Uh, let me see here. What happened after that? Uh, I know Dunban eventually joins the party. I can't quite remember under what circumstances. Is that where they he saves them at some point? Yeah, I, yes. It's one of the times that the face mechon comes back and mm-hmm. yes. Dunban put, shows up and saves them. Yes. If I'm remembering right. <laughs> And let's see, I think some other face, like Metcons with faces show up. Same thing, the the, the Nato can't damage them for some reason. Uh, I know one of the quests that's later on is to find a way to power up the sword that so it can damage, like, not just Metcons, but anything else, including humans. Uh, But I think I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) At some point, they go to uh, the um, Machna Forest. They meet the, uh, another, a strange race of, Beings that become sort of a mascot of the series. The, the Napon, they meet um, the next party member, Ricky, who is a highly amusing little guy. I think it's adorable. The potato uh, people. Yes, yeah, I, I think it looks like the Pokemon Wigglytuff to me. Uh, I, that, the, I think one of the characters in Xenoblade X calls the Nippon potato people and threatens to cook them. <laughs> 
Oh, but yeah, I think they, they to me they look like Wigglytuff with uh, ear arms because their their actual arms are stubby and useless, so they use their ears as arms. To me, they look like the little rabbit things in Magic Knight Ray Earth. Um, oh, what was her name? Mo- Mokona was her name. What's its name? Yeah, yeah, it's been I mean, a while. Which I also think looks like Wigglytuff. But yeah, back here. Yeah. Uh, they also, um, they later meet a, another race, uh, the High Entia, the other, like, the other biological race on the, um, still around anyway, on the, on the Bionis. They uh, look mostly human-like, except they've got wings on their heads, although they don't know she's a High Entia at first because she has a head covering it. Uh, okay, there's that leg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and her name is escaping me right now. Wow. I, I Melia. Mean, I, Melia, yeah, I, I like her too. So, like, can't believe I forgot it. And uh, Ricky calls her Melly. Uh, sh- let's see here. What else happens? Uh, wow. At that point, that that's when you fi- eventually you find you end up going to their God. What was the name of the uh, High Antia's uh, capital? Alkamoff. 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 Yes, which is loosely which is loosely based on I believe the Hebrew word for so of um for uh, knowledge um Alkamoff. Uh, there's all just like the other sort of the pseudo franchise of Xeno Gears and Xeno Saga. This has a lot of uh, Gnostic elements in it. And once you make it to the capital, you kind of discover that she's actually part of the nobility, and that's when you start into the the. The well, the part of the main quest where you have to kind of, what was it? She le- she has to uh, go on a quest in order to um, in order to become the empress or to become the heir to the throne. Yes, and you have to join her to kind of help her complete this quest in basically a dungeon. Yes, yes, and then at the end, they yeah, she because she was a uh, she's also half human, which is why her ear her her head wings are a lot smaller than a lot of the other high antia. Yeah, I, I, apparently the Intia had the emperors have like two wives, and one of them is also Intia, and then the second wife is a is a oh, hom. Yeah, hom. I so forgot. she they're was the human, so they're hom. No, oh, they're they human. They're humans with a fancy sort of fancy name. So, yes, that happened before she, you know, before you can move on from there. I think that begins the the also the quest to eventually power up the Monado. Yeah, and that after that you're headed to Prison Island. Is that yes, when you prison, start hit yes. the, the the head of it, Prison Island? Yes, Prison Island, where there is imprisoned a giant that's called Zanza. The the giants were a, a race that went extinct on Bionis for reasons I don't quite remember. And uh, you know he he offered to power up the sword so it could attack it could attack the face Mechons. It can also kill humans and kill other things too. And then uh, he he gets. Uh, Zanza gets killed, although it's not the last we're actually going to hear from him, surprisingly. <laughs> nope. And, uh, when do we find out the big reveal about one of the other faced Mechons? I don't, did, did that happen around here? I don't remember. I know that you find out that one of the faced Mechons is Fiora, and then you find out that one of the other faced Mechons is the kind of warmy looking guy from the opening cutscene whose name escapes me, and I just uh, yeah. had it. His name is um, Mumker. Yes, yeah, Moomkar. Yeah, I think yeah, Moomkar. Yeah, definitely a nasty piece of work. Yeah, so, but yeah, you find out that yeah, you see that she didn't die, but she was. But what you know, she has no memories, and she's incorporated in part of this machine. And of course, the Shulk is all like confused and doesn't know what to do. 
Yeah, that becomes part of the thing where the mechanists are like t- obviously been taking humans and kind of incorporating them into machines. Yeah, so that way they can they can thwart the Monado since the Monado is not supposed at least originally was not supposed to be able to kill to kill humans until Zanza powered it up or removed whatever restriction was on it. Uh, let's see here. So after that climax, I, they cross. Well, they eventually cross over to the Mechonist, so they have to pass through the uh, Sword Valley, was it called? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that taking me a long time to get through for some reason. Yeah, that spot in the game was hard. I had to grind so hard to be able to survive that whole area because it was just filled with mobs. There was a lot to do there, too. I, I yeah. spent way more time than I needed to doing side quests in this game. <laughs> Like, you, you do have to do side quests if you want to get, like, all the skills, but you don't have to do all of them, and for some reason, I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so, uh, let's see here. They, at some point, get over to the Mechonists, and they slowly, dis- they, this is where they also discover that the Mechons are not, like, the original race there, but they are an artificial, they are, they are machines. But there are machine beings called the, uh, the Machina there, and they are almost extinct. But they're not the ones leading the fight with the Mechons. It's actually a somewhat, a, one member of them that went rogue, uh, whose name escapes me. But I do remember his, his machine was named the, uh, was named Yaldabaoth, which is from Gnostic, from Gnostic, from Gnosticism. Is so, it but, Eagle? E-G-I-L? Yeah, Edgel. Edgel. yeah that's Edgel. it. Edgel. Yes, that's it. Yeah, he was like the, he was the son of like their lead, like their leader. Uh, and yeah, the mech. So yeah, the mechcons are there. They you know they explain what's going on, and uh, that's um, and that the reason he's trying to fight against them is because he believes that they will eventually like the that the Bionis will eventually destroy the mechonis and the mechcon with them. The mechcons, the uh, the machina with them, which is why he's trying so hard to wipe out uh, the Homs and presumably it just and the Bionis itself. Uh, let's see here. What happens after that? Uh, just trying to look this this summary I'm looking at is massive. Uh, okay, um, and what when at some point maybe I should just skip to when Zanza comes back. I don't even know what else to do anymore. <laughs> and we even we even glossed over the Alvis guy that keeps showing up to kind of tease the party. Oh, him! Right, completely forgot. I... Yeah, he started way back with the uh, the High Antia. Right when the he, that's when he first shows up. That's, when yeah, that's when he first, first showed up. To, yeah, to mysteriously like sort of watch him slash sorta kind of help him out, but not really because you really don't find out what he is until much much later. It uh, should be worth noting that this game actually has a chart inside of it to figure out who everybody is and their relationship to each other. Yeah, that includes a lot of the NPCs too. Yeah. Uh, let me think here. So, let me think. Let me see here. At some uh, point, there's a betrayal. Uh, betrayal? Hmm. Dixon. Oh, right, him. You, yeah, you, I forget. But that's you, right. That's kind of at the end. I forget that you think he's a good guy at first, but you find out he's actually working for Zanza, who, surprise, surprise, is the main villain of this game. And also, uh, should I just skip to that part with Zanza and what he actually is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Zanza is actually the god, uh, the god, the creator god of the Bionis. Um, and uh, his plan is to keep things in a sort of state of eternal recurrence because he doesn't want uh, the, like the, the beings on the Bionis to fly off into space or something like that. I actually don't quite remember. 
I don't quite recall his motivations all that well, but he's not a very nice guy. Yeah, well, it was like he wanted a friend, but then, you know, he didn't want anyone who would leave him. So was the he basic wanted to, gist. to kill, the, kill them constantly so they would stay there and not go away with him. He also didn't want the, uh, the Mechonists to interfere with that plan either. Because they're led by another god, by another god, the goddess Mena. Yeah, Mena, I believe, is her name. Who ends up partially, sort of, kind of possessing Fiora because she's eventually rescued and partially restored, though she has a has a partially me- mechanical body since she was almost killed before. And Zanza was also the person that got the Mechanus and the Bionis to fight. Yes, yeah, because they were they they you know they they kind of lived in their own their own massive bodies to begin with, and yeah, he's the one who started that that war. And all and his plan was also to uh, he used Shulk and sort of kind. He used Shulk to power up the Monado so he could take the sword and use it to eventually ki- to uh, take down Mena, which he does eventually. He does eventually kill her, I believe. Yeah, she she dies like saving uh, Shulk and the rest of them mm-hmm. from a, one of his attacks. And uh, let me see here. So then, the last part of the game is to be able to confront Zanza and defeat him. Uh, so they, yeah, just just I know there's a little. I guess I'll just skip right ahead. I guess. Because the ending I can remember fairly quickly. So they go off into Zanza's stronghold and get teleported to something that kind of makes them look like they're out in in space. They're walking on, like, the planets of the solar system. They fight him, they defeat him, and then you find out the whole backstory as to where this strange world came from to begin with. Zanza and Mena were originally just regular human scientists in some world, probably just Earth. And they were experimenting in creating uh, pocket universes. Uh, so Zanza was about to start off the was about to start off a new universe, but Mena said it to stop because it could destroy the universe. And guess what? It does. It destroys the universe and creates a new one, the strange one in Xenoblade. And they are reborn as gods. And Alvis is a uh, an AI system that manages it. He was like the AI from the space station they were on. Yes, I think. Yes, yeah, it was a, that. So he so that's why he stuck around there. And he, so his role is just kind of to. Uh, oversee things and um after he's killed shulk is decides to just uh let the like he, I, he just kind of decides that the world develop on its own and the world presumably becomes a regular spherical planet and not this strange landmass is on and then you see flashback forward everyone is happy fiora somehow gets a regular body again i think there's a novel that explains they find like a, a sort of cl- a regeneration machine to restore it uh, though the game just kind of like, oh, look, she's all flesh again. Although some character offhand mentions that they could, like, clone parts of her body to restore her. And then it ends. Yeah, so it was a gigantic setup for the JRPG thing of uh, where you have to fight God and defeat him. Yes, but again, this is Gnosticism, so he's a false god. Because yeah. the, the, like, the true, he's not the true creator. He just keeps the world trapped in this uh, illusionary world. Which is kind of weird because uh, Edgel fights them with Yaldabaoth, and in Gnostic mythology, Yaldabaoth is the false god, the demiurge, that keeps the world trapped in an, an illusory false world. But he's fighting against this god that's also fake, so it goes up, it ones up it or something. So, yeah, I guess that went quicker than I thought, just because I really don't remember a lot of the specifics. There's a lot of minutiae and details in this game's plot, so it's really hard to kind of sum it up in a three-act structure. Yeah, very. 
but it, it, it is a good story just just because we can't really remember all the de- a lot of details it, it's a, it's a very good story it's just very dense it it'd be a, a doorstop if it was a book that's for sure oh oh yeah definitely and that's not even in, that's the main story that's not even including all of the hard events not all of the side quests that you can do mm-hmm. and all the different the character subplots that go on yeah it's just it's really thick it's really good but really thick Okay. Okay, let's see if this works. Am I am I coming through without delay? Yes, I can hear you. Can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it's probably from all the delays that I was getting earlier. But was this was this Alvis or Elvis that I kept hearing? Alvis, A L V I S is his name. He's okay. The, he's a mysterious character. It turns out to be an AI computer thing. But not the king of rock and roll. No, <laughs> unfortunately, right. no. Yeah, I wish I could say more, but when when I'm going to have to listen to this after Phil edits it to make any sense of it, uh, I don't have much to say. I'm sorry. Usually when I do a backtrack, I try to find a plot summary on YouTube that kind of gives the bullet point details. And the plot summary, all the plot summary I could find was basically all of the cutscenes mashed together in a 10-hour <laughs> playlist that I couldn't even get through, mainly because I was, you know, at work. So, Eesh. and this plot summary, I don't, I don't remember if the game actually had chapters, but this one is broken into 17 chapters plus an epilogue. I don't know if that's just for the purpose. I don't think there was chapters in this game. I don't remember no. chapters. Yeah, I read that yeah. thing. It was that, that that's where I, I don't know why, but I just forgot so many of the little twists back and forth. You you go back and forth fighting the different mm-hmm. face um, uh, Mechon over and over again. Yeah. So some of that just kind of melds together in my head. <laughs> Yeah, that that does, and then I completely forgot about uh, uh, that, uh, and, and his name even escapes me again, even though he just mentioned Dixon. Completely forgot about, and completely forgot to met, bring up Sharla's former lover who ends up dying anyway, whose name escapes me, and also becomes a faced Mechon. Yeah, and then dies again. <laughs> yeah, dies again. Yeah. <laughs> and there was also one of the party members, the little brothers that got yamched. Yeah, that, that was Sharla. Yeah, two Jews. <laughs> Oh, the one thing we did kind of leave out of the story, we, we did kind of forget to mention the, uh, well, at least they set up the Monado part where, I, I think it was right at the beginning of the game, they, they give that little, um, like, teaser cut scene where they show, like, years earlier where they were, where that quest was sent up the mountain to find oh, right. the Monado. That's where Shulk and, was found again. Yeah, Shulk was found with the Monado, probably because his parents were, his parents were found dead, probably trying to to discover it. And, yeah. uh, but that's also where he was sort of like, like he was, I guess, either taken over, like at least Zanza made note of him to mold him into somebody who would make the Monado powerful enough for him to use. Yeah, I think Zanza says that later in the game, like, oh, you know, yeah. Shulk was already dead at that point, and I, you know, kind of gave him life and yeah. to, to be a vessel for me. And we completely also glossed over the fact that uh, the Monado gives Shulk the ability of foresight. Oh, the oh. future sight draft. Yeah, I mean it's a yeah. big battle, but it's mostly a, a battle mechanic. But it is an important part of the story. Oh, it is an important part of the story too. Yeah, cast all these things in the future. But yeah, it allows him to see a brief moment into the future. Again, it's mostly a battle mechanic, so he knows what the enemy's about to do and can prevent it. But uh, it, it's an important part of the story as well. Although I think if I remember correctly, he predicts something that the the Colony Nine getting destroyed at the very yes. beginning of the game. Yes, he does. And he's, you know, he sees it happening to Fiora, and he's unable to stop it. 
I can't uh, remember if it ever explained why he has this power because of the Monado, though. I think because he was chosen by Zanza to be his vessel, I think. Okay. But but he still had the power even after he lost, even after the battles with Zanza, and he doesn't have the Monado anymore. So I don't know if that was just to power the Monado or not. Once again, reading these synopses and trying to make sense of some of this stuff. It's <laughs> <laughs> difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's difficult. Yeah. Did we get into uh, the characters now? I guess we should, yeah. Well, first we've got Shulk, the main hero, who is a, a, sci- a scientist, which I always like having scientist heroes in yeah, RPGs. They're, yeah, they're very rare. So, yeah, he's already more memorable because of that. <laughs> he's a bit of a... Because he's, uh, you know, he's a scientist, he's also kind of a nerd, too. Yeah. He likes machines and weapons. And, and then we've got... Of, sorry, go he, ahead. Oh no! He, he was also kind of like oblivious to like Fiora's uh, uh, affection for him. Yeah, yeah, but that's part of the course. <laughs> and then we've got Rain, who is the meathead of the party, who I only remember because he never shuts up in battle. It's Rhine time. I got a good feeling. Uh, Rhine, trying to remember any sort of what? Well, I mean, he has a bit of. I'm trying to remember exactly about his personality other than being just kind of boisterous. <laughs> he makes a good tank, though. Yes, that he does. You just load him up with skills that can aggro the party and just wail on things. Uh, let's see here. I mean, he... Hmm. Okay. Uh, and, uh... I guess we could just move on to the aura bit, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about Ryan. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I didn't do a lot of his side quests, so I really don't know his plot, other than <laughs> Brian just being a meathead. I mean, there's this, there's this romantic subplot with Sharla, but I don't really remember the details too much at all. And then we and got Sharla. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, hey, sorry. <laughs> who, hey, had heel bullets before heel bullets were cool in Overwatch. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, she pretty much never left my party. Really needed that healing ability. Yeah. And yeah, she's pretty cool. Uh, let's see here. Forgetting a lot of details of the characters, too. Wow. I think that if you didn't do a lot of those side quests, you don't really get a lot of backstory oh. on the characters. Oh, I did. It's just been really too long. And this is, I guess, I mean, yeah, when did it? This came out in 2012 in the United States, right? Yeah, 2012. It did, but I forget just how much earlier Europe got it. Wasn't it almost a year or more? Yeah, almost. Yeah, a little more than a year, I think. No, maybe it was a year or a little more. Mm-hmm. I know if Alex had joined us, then he would be strutting and making all of us feel jealous because he got it so much earlier than we did. <laughs> and that's one thing that I forgot to mention at the beginning is that a lot of people were modding their Wii's to be able to play import versions of this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so from Charla we have Fiora. Uh, say, what I really like about her is that she uh, like she wants to protect Shulk, which is all which you know it's it's always nice to see that sort of twist on the old uh, girl guy dynamic and want to protect who wants to protect who. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously she's absent for much of the story because they think she's dead, and she comes back and she's actually a really awesome fighter. Well, she was a pretty awesome character. I mean, even at the end of the, the that first big battle at Colony 9 where, you know, she just jumps in. I don't even remember what they call it, but basically it was a giant mech and takes on the, the faced mech on. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, she's oh, yeah, an she's awesome pretty. character. Will, she's really awesome. Definitely not a shrinking violet. Nope. <laughs> and then there's Ricky. Ricky the Napon. He's, I think, like, in his... Like, he's a father and is uh, and married. Uh, actually, he's in a lot... If I remember correctly, he's in, a like, a lot of trouble with his village because his children keep eating everything. <laughs> And uh, that's why he's the hero pawn. He's he's a sort of a, a, a sort of a, a hero for being bossed around to pay off his debts. And so he yeah, I love that where where they introduce him as the hero pawn, and you're like, oh, is he the best warrior? It's like, no, he's just pissed off everybody, and he really <laughs> needs to pay off these debts. So yeah, and like they they're they're passing him around like a volleyball. I remember that. What did he have? Like eleven kids, something like that. Something like that. Something crazy like that. He was entertaining. He was he was actually a, a fairly good tank too, if you figured out how to use him. You know, normally cute characters like that in these games irritate me, but I found him to be highly amusing. Yeah, but he has his, he has as, like his uh, sweet moments too. Uh, he's a uh, yeah, I guess because he's older, he's like it's a good shoulder to sort of to listen to your problems, and is surprisingly wise despite his goofiness. And uh, yeah, let's see here. After, I guess, Dunban is just your typical sort of older, cool guy. He's the, the older brother of Fiora. Uh, I liked using him a lot in my party. I thought that he was a good fighter. He was one of the ones you could actually use as either a tank or a DPS, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Tended he's more for the latter, though. Yeah. And then I guess uh, Melia, the uh, Hyentia, she gets a crush on Shulk, but obviously that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, she's a sort of magic user. I, I'd like to like to, to fight with her because of her ability to knock enemies down using just a kick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, once I learned how to control her, like, she almost never le- left the party. Mm-hmm. Oh, we could have brought over to a story where the high enti are transformed into monsters called the telepi. I completely gloss that over because they evolved <sighs> from them. Yeah, so you had the the high antia evolved from those. They, what did they look like? They were almost like stingrays. They were or like no, they, they vaguely looked reptilian, which is why I guess the Napon called them dino beasts. And I guess there's a pun there. The dino beasts evolved into the bird people. Mm-hmm. And uh, but because they still had the telethia genes, Zanza could still transform them back into their old forms. That's why a bunch of them interbre- were interbreeding with humans to try to eliminate those genes. So Melia and other hybrids did not transform. Yeah, and there was like a subplot to that where there were like basically like racist high India who were yeah. trying to who wanted to exterminate the the half breeds. Yes, and only know that you're just playing into the yep. You're just going to get transformed to a monster. Too bad. Yep. <laughs> Genetic diversity is good. <laughs> and that's that's. I think that's all the playable characters. Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, I mean, we were uh, talking about the uh, the gods. Uh, the, I mean, don't remember too much about the other non like the, the non party characters. I I remember being very upset at Dixon's betrayal because I really liked him as a kind of a father figure for Shulk in the beginning, and when he turned did the heel turn, it got to me pretty bad. Yeah, it was like he was especially nasty. Like that affection he seemed to show, like was it was really just all a lie. Just wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was just being groomed to be the 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 vessel for Zanza. Basically, a sacrificial lamb. Yeah, yeah. I remember when uh, there there is that big scene, pretty close to the end of the game, where 
I, I can't remember the exact part of it. Like you're fighting a battle and then Dixon just kind of shows up and shoots Shulk in the back and you're just like, whoa. Oh, yeah, that. A heel turn for all heel turns. <laughs> And I never saw it coming either. Usually I can can see this stuff coming from a mile away, but that one just left my jaw on the floor. Yeah, same here. Wow. Yeah, I was playing the first few hours of it this weekend, and, and um, like there were there are there are a couple of times now where they cut away to Dixon, and you're like, oh, okay, that's that's they're trying to kind of like they're, they're they're trying to show you something. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to foreshadow it, but. Like, I, I didn't catch on the first time. Yeah. If I had the time to replay that, it would, it would be really awesome to kind of catch up on those clothes. Like, it didn't come out of left field, but yeah, I guess they were really subtle about it. Oh, I'm sure this is one of those games that if you watch it again, knowing what you know, that you're going to pick a, catch a lot of stuff that you didn't notice the first time around. And hey, only 10 hours of YouTube, and you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was all the major characters. That was all the human characters, certainly. Yeah. All the main human ones. Yeah, especially don't remember too much about the other non-human ones. But obviously, we talked about the gods. Zanza's a serious jerk, and Maynith is actually a really nice lady. I mean, there was Mumkar, who, you know, from the opening cutscene, that's like, gee, I wonder who's going to be bad in this cutscene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just runs away as soon as he's able to. Very like, shifty looking character. Like, yeah, I'm not surprised you're a metal face jerk. <laughs> uh, that's me think here. I don't know. Do, like remember, this, mm-hmm. do you remember any of the side characters that stuck out? I was trying to. I'm trying to remember their names. I remember there's this, uh, this, uh, this sort of. Uh, he's, she's sort of a half sibling, but not really. Or maybe a step sibling of Melia, who looks like she's a full blooded high entia. And her mother, which is the other wife of the emperor, is like is, is, is a big racist. But as it turns out, she's actually also half human through some kind, and she, which is why she's able to survive telethia. She's like she's not able to transform to telethia. Most of the times, the half hyentia have the tiny wings like Melia, but somehow she got the full size wings. And oh yeah, they can fly with those ridiculous head wings, apparently. And they must have some pretty powerful head muscles. If that's apparently. The case. They don't do it often, so I guess it must get tiring. Um, I also remember the peaceful colony of Mechanis that you run into kind of standing out to me because I thought that that was, that was kind of neat that you actually run into ones that, you know, wanted to find a resolution to the conflict. Well, they were the only, like, they were the only surviving group left. It was really just one, one uh, Machina, Edgel, that wanted to destroy the Bionis. Maybe for sort of good reasons, since they were trying to destroy them first, but still, mm-hmm. kind of a jerk. And he is, he ends up getting killed by Zanza anyway, if I remember correctly. Because mm-hmm. uh, you meet his sister in that group, and also his father, which is like the leader, the chief. And they live for a very long time, I remember, because when you kind of checked, you could kind of see their profile with their ages, and they're all like in the several thousands. Uh, let me think here. Don't remember any of the Napon too. I kind of, I vaguely remember the chief and what he sounded like, but he didn't really have much to do with the plot. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Hmm. 
That's all the major characters I can remember. Yeah. Can't even remember any more names, really. Okay, so Charlotte's former lover was called Godot, but I don't remember anything about him. My memory is that he just really wasn't <laughs> wasn't much of an entity in the game. No, he he, he shows up he, in hands. He's still alive. He's a metal face, and he gets killed off just as quickly. Yeah. Well, he has to get killed off, so Ryan has a love interest, I guess. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Short-lived love triangle, I guess. Did we talk about the ending? Yes. Okay. So I did, I, whole, yeah, with the whole, it turns out that the gods were actually, yeah, the whole thing, the gods were human scientists, create a universe that destroyed the old one, and then they, Schultz chooses to recreate the universe like a regular, like a regular universe with the planet actually being a planet. Yeah, he kind of rejected the idea of him being a god. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Like that That is one of the images that still sticks out in my mind from the game, that, that weird reveal of the of that that was actually scientists all along and you see earth well what looked like earth and then on a space station it was just so bizarre <laughs> you're playing this otherwise just kind of like fantasy sci-fi-ish thing and then they throw that in they throw in like oh hey it was it used to be earth maybe all along except it was kind of reconstructed into something else different <laughs> See, I, when I beat the game, I wondered if at the time if that had any sort of connection to the one on the PS2, which whose name is, is escaping me. Zeno, Z- yeah, Zeno Saga, which it, it can't do to like licensing issues. So. Okay, because I I didn't yeah. finish Zeno Saga, so I didn't know if it was tangentially related or what. No, just in terms you, of theme. you didn't finish all of Zeno Saga or just one of them. I didn't finish one of them. I can't really blame you because the third one is the best and you have to wade through the first and the second one to get there. But yeah, but. just like Xenogears isn't really connected to Xenosaga because of licensing issues. Xenosaga is sort of, kind of, remake, not really. Oh, and also sort of, kind of, prequel, but not really. Xenoblade is almost entirely unrelated except for some themes, like the, a lot of the Gnostic, Gnostic uh, borrowings. And I guess the whole like really high, the sort of high concept ideas as well. Obviously, this is a lot more fantasy based than the uh, than Xenogears or Xenosaga. Okay, I mean, I don't know what else I can say. The, the plot, it or the characters. Yeah, it's or a dense world. game. Very dense that's for sure. You're certainly not going to get through it in a weekend. Oh, a week maybe if you're dedicated. A week maybe if you don't sleep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or go to work. Okay, a month if you're dedicated. <laughs> yeah, I think my playthrough was like 109 hours. Uh, a little over 200 for me. Oh, Lord. I couldn't remember mine. I it had. I don't think I went as long as you guys, but it was pretty long. It it took me a while. Uh, but again, I, I spent a ridiculous amount of hours on games anyway, so... I got really sucked into doing a lot of the side quests and wanting to kind of min-max a lot of my characters, which is probably a good reason to segue into gameplay. Okay. That that would be Phil's cue to come back. Yeah. (laughs) Since this is where he can really shine. Yeah. Okay, all the spoilers all done with. My virgin ears are still protected. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then Shulk and Rain fell in love. Oh no! <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, now I'm gonna we're gonna have to take a short break while I go get a couple of vodkas to try to have the tears. Now that I know it's something I'm not supposed to know. We'll be right back right after this. This is the non-spoilery part. We're just going to now dive into <laughs> mechanics, combat, apologize. A little bit of coughing in the background, but uh, uh, we got some sick people in the house. Anywho, uh, we'll be talking about uh, all that stuff that makes this game so huge. Uh, just all kinds of systems underneath the hood. But let's let's dive into let's dive into the combat because uh, admittedly, I, I have to think when the Wii came out, I, I don't know if I've ever played a combat system quite like this. Uh, before the week's time. So uh, why don't we let Cassandra start with this one? Okay, uh, the battle system is somewhere between real-time and turn-based. 
you have you control you can really only control one character at a time. Uh, you start off with Shulk, and you could change him around. Although, since a lot of the enemies you fight are machines, and you need the Monado to uh, use a, a special ability to allow everybody to damage machines, you're going to be using him a lot. Going to be probably controlling him a lot. Um, you have to. It's all about uh, they, they attack in sort of they use regular attacks after a certain amount of time, after several seconds. And then they can use uh, special skills um, that have to uh, power that have like a cooldown time before you can use them again. A lot of the comp- a lot of the strategy is around using those skills in like certain succession against specific enemies to get the upper hand. Uh, obviously, one of them is to use the Monado to allow machines to be weakened. A lot of combat involves having to knock enemies down using special abilities and then following those up with special attacks. Uh, you can chain attacks with different characters together, and yeah, I really wish I could. I should have t- replayed this as a refresher because a lot of the exact details are escaping me. Mm-hmm. But I-, I had a lot of fun with that, just chaining together abilities and which characters to bring into combat against which enemies, and what abilities to use on what enemies. And I like knocking things down and then following it up. I mean, you're hitting a lot of the right notes. I mean, I played this very, very recently. As I mentioned about twenty some hours in, started about a month ago. And, uh, I mean, that's pretty much the gist. You have uh, a party of different characters uh, that you're bringing into combat. It reminds me a little bit of World of Warcraft because you, you got these abilities that are on cooldowns. Uh, and you do have the Holy Trinity of tank, DPS, and healer kind of going on there. Of course, you can bring whatever you want. You don't necessarily have to bring the Holy Trinity. Uh, that's just where I tend to lean having played World of Warcraft. Uh, but it is about whichever character you're really focused on. Uh, it is using those skills that are on cooldowns and occasionally the the special you know skills or whatever that's in the middle, like when playing the healer lady and I'm horrible with names, but she Charla. has Charla. She has the gun that after you've used so many skills, everything goes through the gun, including healing other people. You shoot them because you love them, and she has to let the gun cool down after you've done so many skills. Otherwise, if it overheats, she will take twice as long to cool that gun down, leaving right, you quite I vulnerable. For- yeah, right. I forgot about that. That's that shit. I, I never ran into that problem, thankfully. I, I, I kind of sort of did sometimes just because I would lose track or didn't keep an icon of the thing fooling up. But it is there, so it is something you got to be cognitive of with that character. Of course, different characters have different things. Like you mentioned, the main hero has the, the Monado with the Monado skills that are on their own cooldown. So you want to kind of keep an eye on those, especially when fighting machines or your tank characters who have taunt skills. If you're playing the tank, you want to use those as often as possible uh, to keep your to keep the monsters from ganging up on your healer. So... Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely about cooldowns and skills. There's no magic points. It's all about cooldowns. So, uh, uh, what did you what did you, what did you, you liked it, right? Yes, I enjoyed it. Again, I thought it was really fun to uh, to chain together attacks. It's a different sort of. At least I haven't played a battle system like that before. And I had a lot of fun with attacking enemies. I had a lot of fun knocking things down. And, you know, you could use things strategically. And also, I uh, forgot to mention, uh, we briefly mentioned in the story that the uh, Mon- about the Monado's ability to allow Shulk to see the future. Uh, during battle, it'll telegraph certain super powerful attacks that an enemy's about to do. And if you can use a special skill, usually involving knocking down the enemy just right, it'll, it'll change the future and prevent that super powerful attack from happening. Yeah, yeah. So it, it lets you know that a monster, and, and it's kind of like in some games how 
some monsters, you know, we have real-time combat. Some monsters will start showing up a charge-up combo, like a, a, I'm sorry, not a combo, but a meter. A charge-up meter. You know they're about to unleash a big attack. Here it's tied into the fact that the that the main character has the has visions of the future through uh, the Monado. And it's, it's integrated very, very well as a gameplay mechanic there in combat, as well as in other parts of the game that we'll uh, discuss. They did a really great job of integrating this this you know this concept of the sword into various parts of the gameplay uh including the combat so uh you've also as far as the combos go yes you basically have a party meter at the top that fills up uh as the party does critical attacks and they encourage each other there is some uh quick time events but it's really limited only to one button so sometimes uh you know a character is about to do a critical hit or has just been knocked on their rear end and you as you know whatever character you're playing there'll be a quick time event that pops up and if you hit the button and it's always the same button every single time but if you hit it at the right moment uh then then you'll encourage that character they'll get up or they'll become more on fire which will fill that bar even faster uh if the bars uh, got all three segments filled up then you can unleash a team combo attack where mm-hmm. and that is the one time where you can control all three characters in turn succession and the way the combos really work the way the, to, to get the most out of them is if you do the same color of attacks because the different skills that you have are color coded red yellow blue green for different types of attacks so if you have three characters who all have red attacks uh, and you happen to do one after the other, the damage pretty much multiplies, and you can get in some massive damage, and it really is a key way to take uh, take down bosses within a decent amount of time, because otherwise you're kind of wailing. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good way to incapacitate enemies, too, because, again, you could knock it down, you can use an ability that stuns them while they're knocked down, and then you can use a, a follow-up ability after that that does extra damage while they're stunned. Okay. It keeps them on the ground. Right. And, and as far as knocking them down, so... There's a number of different status effects that kind of tear up. So, like, for example, and I'm, again, I'm horrible with names and details and whatever have you, but one character will be able to inflict, you know, the, this first level of status on him, which doesn't do a whole lot. It might be, like, bleed or something. But then another character will have a skill that if the enemy is bleeding and you hit him with that skill, it will then topple them. And then another character will have a skill that says, if the monster is toppled and you use this skill, it will now stun them. Which is a, a a bigger debuff um, and and easier to damage that enemy and in, and in certain key encounters at least in the first twenty hours I played there are some bosses that can only be taken down by exploiting this mechanic because otherwise they take no damage or very little like mm-hmm. one point so these are these are these are kind of the the game drives it home that this is an important concept to get down. Yeah, a bunch of the like the extra tough enemies you see walking around need this to use. Or if you like fight anything that's like whatever massive monsters might be wandering around, whenever you get to the level high enough, you feel yeah, I'll take this thing on mm-hmm. that I've been trying to avoid before. How about how about you, Joshua? Do you feel like we've we've missed any any points on this one? No, not really. I mean, like the the only real negative I had with the game was just every once in a while it would feel like that the AI just wasn't doing a very good job with some of your your supporting characters. And every once in a while you get stuck on a I'd get stuck on a boss battle and then I you know I'd just get wiped by the boss and then I'd have to kind of play around with the party 
set up and perhaps who I was uh, controlling in order to kind of figure out like, okay, what, which, which one of these characters is the AI not doing a good job with that I need to take control of? And I just wish it was a little bit easier to swap between them on the fly so you could fix that instead of having to basically like lose and start over. You kind of hit a nail on the head. That's actually one of my pet peeves right now. I think when I'm fighting just random little mobs running across the fields that are about my level, the game is, he feels, uh, you know, as Cassandra saying, I feel very satisfied with the combat. I love just kind of grinding on monsters. It's, it's very exciting. But then when I hit a difficult encounter, whether it's a boss encounter or let's say a six pack of enemies that are my level, I'm just outnumbered. Uh, those difficult encounters, it is frustrating. Like there's this one particular boss where I kept losing over and over again. And the way I beat the boss was switching to the healer, which means that the computer, in my opinion anyways, just my perspective, that the the computer didn't know how to heal the party effectively, which there's only three or four healing skills and then you cool down the gun. And, you know, and just using it on the person who needs it the most, that doesn't seem like something that would be very difficult to program. And <laughs> and yet it was something that I was constantly, whether it was them or the take not holding aggro or whatever it was, or the DPS person not setting up the combos. Uh, you're right. I think with the boss battles, it, it got a bit frustrating. Um, I think another... Along those lines, another one of my frustration had to do with those combos. So the game goes out of its way to make sure that in order to move up that tier progression of going from, I forget what the first condition is, to toppled, to staggered, or stunned, or whatever, that there's no one character that generally can do that progression uh, on their own. You really need to depend on the other party members. But because you don't control the other party members, you're reliant on the AI, or you're reliant on filling the combo meter completely, and then you'll get a chance to control one turn essentially of each character. The challenge with filling the combo meter is that sometimes you'll be in a desperate situation by the time that meter gets filled up and you'll have to use some of the combo meter to resurrect people um, because it just takes so long. The other problem being is that you don't always get the characters in the right order to set up that combo. Uh, while the game's in real time, if let's say I'm using Shulk and he's got the first tier so he can kind of trip them up a little bit and I'm waiting for the tank to do his to take it to the next tier... Well, he may have already, the AI may have already used that skill and it's on cooldown. So the second tier can't be achieved. And I have no idea of knowing that because that skill's on cooldown. Or maybe the AI is just not kicking it in. I don't know. Um, and so I, it was very difficult. Some of the boss battles, and these are early boss battles. I'm, I'm fearful for later boss battles because, uh, because I just couldn't get those combos to work. And I would have to try several times. Uh, before I got lucky enough to get what I needed in order to damage some of those bosses. So, um, and, and then back to the AI, frustrating. So I was playing the healer a lot because, you know, as I mentioned before, it seemed like the healer was not kind of doing her job. But then, like, I would run into a mob of six monsters, and I would heal people, and I would draw aggro to myself. And it's like, Tank, come on and get this aggro back. I'm running away <laughs> because I'm I'm taking this heat. And you just want to be able to, like, either Final Fantasy XII, which allow you to give, you know, some AI parameters uh, with the Gambit system, or, like, Tales of games that allow you to kind of jump around characters to use their different skills. I kind of share Joshua's, you know, sentiment. Uh, I just did a quest where it was like, clear the bridge of monsters. Okay, at least I'm not fighting a boss. This seems pretty easy. And the first wave of monsters was not a big deal. But then the second wave, they were my level, and there were so many of them, and the tank just couldn't hold aggro to save his life. So 
I ended up cheesing that in order to get past it because it only required me to kill so many of the monsters. So I kept running. I kill one monster, run away. And when you run away and you disengage in combat, your character is kind of like, unless it's your main character, they resurrect and they start healing immediately. Run back. Now, there's no big penalty for dying. It, it just reloads. I mean, it doesn't even reload. It just, you spawn back at like the last point or whatever have you. And it's some, it's not usually too far away. So there's no big penalty for dying. But for me, I get get frustrated anyway so the combat system's hit or miss for me it is very hit or miss because when it comes to regular grilling it feels so cool when your party's fired up and they're cheering each other on and they're pumping each other up and their faces are on fire on the stat screen and stuff and they're like "Eh, we're pumped up and now we're doing big hits combo time let's unleash some fury and i'm getting pumped up with them but then when the boss battles come on they're like oh oh i can't do my combo oh why should i heal you and I just want to strangle them. So, but but I'm kind of being a negative nilly. I need I need Relly to help balance me out. <laughs> oh, I mean, I definitely was happy for my MMO background and being used to WoW when I was playing this game because playing through it felt like a single player WoW. Um, you know, having your action bar and going through your your abilities and going. What am I trying to say? You know, kind of keeping everything on cooldown and having a rotation and stuff. And I found that that was kind of fun. It did make me kind of wish that I could play it on a keyboard a lot more so that I could sit there and spam the abilities like I do in WoW because I'm a notorious button masher. But um, th- that being said, you know, I, I agree with every- what everybody else said about the combat. I really enjoyed the combat. What I enjoyed more was the running around in the huge open areas and trying to f- explore and trying to fill up that um, that collection tab and the rewards that you got for filling the collection tab. I don't know if any of you guys remember. No, I remember that, that. there was uh, yeah locations, items, enemies. I think yeah, it was, maybe I'm not really sure. Yeah, that that really scratched an itch with me because you know I'm a collector. If there's something that's like, hey, get all of this stuff and you'll get a cool item, I'm all about that. <laughs> I'm all about that, but at the same time, it did get a little bit frustrating because some of the items that you find on the ground were pretty rare spawns. Oh, oh yeah. So, randomly popped up like especially if they needed it for a quest and you know it's, even if you look it up on a, on a guide like where to find this thing because you're not exactly sure it's just like this might pop up here and there just keep collecting it like gah it's annoying yeah <laughs> yeah i remember some of those where you'd look up a, i'd look it up in a guide and it'd be like yeah this spawns eight percent of the time yeah, in so this like, spot what? <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> i have to keep coming back here to find make sure this one thing is something rare Oh, and we didn't mention the day-night cycle because that played into that too. There would be thing, there would be different enemies during the day and the night. There would be different drops at night. So sometimes you'd have to go to a place at a specific time to get the right drop. Yeah, that was easy because you could change the clock at any time. And people had a schedule like in Majora's Mask. So yeah, if the you, actual NPCs. So yeah, if you so need to speak to somebody specifically, you had to know when they were out at what time. Mm-hmm. But at least you could change the clock to any time of the day yeah. instead of in increments like in Majora's Mask, which I commend. Definitely useful. And you had the fantastic interconnect, interwoven, interconnected uh, part of the menu that showed all the different characters, and you could f- easily find out where the characters were supposed to be and what time they were supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was pretty neat. 
Sorry, that kind of take... yeah, that kind of brings us to some of the other you know subsystems because there's so there's so many different subsystems in this game. So let's talk about so, you know let's talk about some of the the subsystems that make your you know speaking of combat and stuff kind of ties into them being more powerful. Let's talk about let's say the skill system or the level up system or whatever it's called, where where you pump points into their various skills. Talk about that for a second. I mean, it's your basic WoW Diablo-esque skill tree. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were tied into how many. They were tied into like how many quest, like quests you did in a certain area because you could unlock more trees or larger parts of the trees depending on how many you did. So you didn't want to skip all of the side quests. You didn't have to do all of them either, but you didn't want to skip all of them because it would expand more and you'd have access to more skills. And uh, yeah. Um, I also really got sucked into the gym combining system. Oh yes, that that ate up a lot of time for me because you could put you could put those gems on your equipment and uh, add all sorts of extra effects and abilities. And you could really micromanage the heck out of it too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you guys ran into this problem. I got frustrated that the text on the gym system was very tiny. Though I don't know if it was because I was playing on a smaller TV than what I'm used to or not. Because I I had my Wii set up in the bedroom back in the day. And only a 32-inch TV, which doesn't seem like it's that small. But it was like all the way across the rim. So I had to either scoot to the front of my bed or really squint to read the text on some of that. And I can't imagine it being much better on the 3DS version. Hmm. No, everything was tiny on the 3DS version. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it didn't give me any trouble, but... Maybe it's my old lady eyes. Um... So we also had uh, so on top of that you as you, so you had you had you have your skills that seem to me anyways to unlock with your levels. Those are the ones that are on your toolbar uh, when you're in combat, and those you could as you fight you get points and you can spend those points between those skills. So if you want to focus on you know certain skills leveling up faster than other ones. But once they got to a certain tier, in order to take them up to the, you know, to get them past, let's say, level four, you had to also buy books. And those books are not cheap dates. Uh, So you're going to need some gold, and you're going to need to grind for gold, and you have to do that through questing. At least, again, 20-some hours in, this is my impression. Because the book's not cheap. Not cheap at all. Um, Then you also have, as you, you also have, like, every character has, like, three skill paths those are for your path they, they seem to be mostly passive upgrades uh you know whether it's plus 10 to strength or you know you get a buff at the beginning of battle or whatnot and you get to pick which three of those trees you're focused on at any given point in time you can switch between them uh so once you've unlocked let's say the first two of the tranquility tree you can start focusing on another tree if you want because the early skills are easier to get uh but then on top of that the characters can actually borrow skills from the other characters or utilize skills that the other characters have if they're the right type and they fit into the proper shape on the tree. So it's possible for Shulk to have, you know, one of the tank skills in drawing aggro. Don't know why you would ever do that, but I noticed that on like every other character, they could use the tank skill of drawing aggro if they weren't armored. Don't know why we'd ever do that. He's the tank. We're not, but it's an option. Uh, I'm sure there's some you know, power leveling exploit in there somewhere. Um, so there's all of that. Uh, there is a lot of, you know, the gym system, as you mentioned before, kind of similar to Diablo, where you can socket gems into certain items, but it is pretty cool how you can level those, combine those gems and level them up, right? That's kind of addictive. 
Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. that. I like how you could pick certain characters, like you have one, and I forget the exact terminology the game uses, but you have one character who's kind of like the driver, and the other one who's like the... Ah, oh, I can't the remember. Assist, yeah, assistant the assistant of some sort. I can't, yeah. remember, I can't remember the exact name, but some sort of assistant. And yeah, uh, yeah I had I had my like my own like okay, I got to use these these two characters for this specific type and whatnot. And yeah, I spent a lot of hours doing that. And there's a lot of strategy there because it, uh, you know uh, as you find these rocks, they'll be rated between one and a hundred or one and ninety nine. And if you combine certain of them and they go over a hundred, you got a gem. But you're trying. Sometimes you're just trying to get as close to 100, so you have a bunch of these rocks that are really close to 80 or 70, so that you can combine those two and then shoot way past 100 and maybe get a higher level oh. gem. Yeah. So there's all kinds of FAQs dedicated to this, but it is it is kind of fun. It's kind of like gambling, and and it's it's just it, it's just a lot of fun. Um, and then you have lots of of armor you can you can buy and sock it into, and you find a lot of armor on the the mobs. And so again, like kind of like Diablo, you're constantly going through armor to see if something's an upgrade. And a lot of times there's a trade off. Certain armor might have higher physical resistance, but drop you down in the magical resistance, or vice versa, or have better slots. So you're constantly evaluating all of the armor pieces. Each character has like five or six armor slots, and you're just constantly evaluating what's the best, um, you know, for each character. So, uh, lots of cool things there uh, to play around with, to tweak out your your party, and to make them as effective as possible from a statistical perspective uh, in combat. A lot of moving pieces. Um, then we have the huge everything else that's in the world. Talk. We talked to. I, I'm sure you guys talked a little bit earlier about the the questing system. Did you guys discuss that? It's pretty much wow side quest. You go find people with exclamation points over their heads. I think it was exclamation points in this game. I'm yeah, not I think, sure. Yeah. I think it was exclamation points, yeah. You go find them and you go find out what they want you to do and you go do it and you come back and you get fat EXP. And and there's and there's a lot of them, but but my impression is <laughs> again, just playing for two is that you really do need to do some of these because the gold requirements and and I mean uh, you like I tend to fight everything along the way. I'll go a little bit out of my way even to fight extra encounters, especially since the the normal combat against regular mobs is very satisfying. But I've come across bosses and been a level or two down, which is a huge disadvantage. At least it seems like a disadvantage to me in this game. So it seems like picking up some of the side quests, especially for the gold, seems to be really encouraged. Am I wrong? Did y'all remember differently? No, I mean you. You really need it. It behooves you to do side quests because if you're going to try to get exp from just mo- killing monsters alone, you're going to have a bad time. Mm-hmm. Does and as I re- yeah, go ahead. As I, mm-hmm. as I recall, at least a lot of the the more mundane collection uh, sort of side quests, a lot of them didn't require you to have to go back to the person and give it to them. It's just like you collected six of the thing, the quest yeah. was done. It give you your exp and your money right then and there. Yeah, yeah, and if you just happen to have that many of the item there, you'll just get it as soon as you take on the quest. And, and um, a lot of times, if you picked up like the shinies on the ground and they were part of a quest later, Shulk would have a vision that would say that these oh, are part right. of a quest later. Right, forgot about that. Yeah, that was yeah, nice. Going back to the time mechanic again, yeah, you'll pick up something and it'll say, yeah, oh, you'll see a cutscene with the character going, oh, I might need this later. Oh, <laughs> and... um. And so, yeah, definitely pretty cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, definitely worth bringing it up is the fact that the, 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 while it, it's, it, again, this game, I don't know if we've talked about the environment, but this game is huge. 
huge. Like, I, I didn't even know the Wii U could handle environments so large. Like, this, the, the, the whole thing takes place on two titans that are fighting each other. Those are essentially your worlds. And in the when you're in certain plateaus, you can see the arm or the sword or whatever of the other Bionis huge and massive in the distance over your head. Or you're looking at a waterfall that looks like it's like kilometers away. And you can see that. And to imagine that those draw distances somehow work on the Wii is just mind-blowing. It's, it's just so well done from a technical perspective. Um, it, it, it's just mind-blowing. Um, and it's yeah. so cool the first time you get to, like, one of those big open areas and you walk out into it and you see one of the giant, um, you know, one of the giant animals off in the distance. And uh, everything in the game would tell you what the level of the enemies were before you would get near them. So you'd be, like, level 10 and you'd see, like, one of those level 95 enemies and you're just like, okay, I'm going to stay over here away from that guy. <laughs> like, where it's safe. <laughs> And it behooves you to do a lot of the exploration because when you unlock the landmarks, um, it unlocks fast travel points on your map so that if Mm -hmm. you have a quest later on, you can actually go to that fast travel point. So when you get to a new area, you really kind of want to just look in every nook and cranny of the new area to unlock those fast travel points. Yeah, and and that's where I was trying to get to uh, in going back to the quest uh, for a minute is that I, I think that this world is huge. It's MMO huge, uh, and it's got a lot of MMO mechanics in it. But it does have conveniences such as the instant fast travel and the fact that as soon as you're done with most of the quest, you generally don't have to go back to the quest giver. It instantly pops up done. It instantly gives you the rewards it's like an ATM card. It's great. Hey, I got money loaded, and and it works really nice. So. Um, it, it it does do a lot of the conveniences uh, in there so that you don't feel like that you're wasting a crap ton of time just running around looking for people. Do, do, I don't remember, though, on the quest, there's really no way for, if you're doing quests, aside from the quest description is saying, hey, this is in the higher plateaus, and then fast traveling to the higher plateaus, there's nothing else on the map really indicating, hey, the quest time you're looking for is right here. It's not that specific, right? No, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's not. Did, that was before Quest Helper was a thing, going back to the WoW computer. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, so if you weren't quite sure where yeah, where it was, you'd have to, you know, just look around or look up a guide. Right. Uh, so so there is there is that. Some of those things could take a little bit of time if you had your heart set, or you just might have to Wikipedia it. Uh, so, so speaking of Wikipedia, which knows it all, we have uh, just jumping in on the podcast with us, uh, uh, Mr. Applications. Sorry for the delayed arrival. I, I don't know what could possibly more be more important than discussing Xenoblade Chronicles. I'm uh, here. I'm just in time for the spoilers. No, nope, no, no more spoilers. <laughs> you missed the spoiling section. Totally died. No oh, spoilers. I want, I want to talk about the heartbreaking moment when Riki dies. No, no, stop it! <laughs> stop it! Bad you. This is exactly what spoiled hey. me on Final Fantasy VII. I'm Wrong. watching you. Wrong Xeno game. That was Xeno Gears when the king <laughs> got crucified. Oh my gosh! I I uh, yeah. So I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast we're trying to we're trying, no spoilers now because Phil's still playing this one. I was off. I was I let them all talk. Let it all get them all the tears off their chest. 
I'm not even going to listen to it when I edit. I'm just going to... Well, I don't listen to it when I edit anyways. All right. So we were, ta- we were talking about all the different subsystems. We just got through talking about uh, the leveling up and the different skills and how you level those guys up. Uh, we talked about the quest. And boy, is my quest log really huge right now. Uh, let's talk about... So the shiny things in the field. Maybe you guys can help me. I've noticed that... Because I, I haven't really looked this up online, but I noticed that, of course, there's little shiny dots in the field. I stop by and pick them all up, and I'm getting pages and pages full of everything from cotton swabs to bunny rabbit tails to, you know, plywood and everything else. And so I've, there's one page called, I think it's called Collectibles, and another one called something else. And, and I don't know if it's okay to sell these or not sell these. Do I need them later on? I know I have to build up this city, and they keep asking me for weird stuff. Can, can one of you help me about this whole Collecticon thing? Because I'm not a Collectathon fanboy, so somebody help me out with this. I can sell those things. I can yep. sell. I can definitely yeah. sell one of those because okay. I've sold quite a few. Like I forget which page it is, but it's. I can't tell if it's just page of like here's a bunch of stuff you should go ahead and sell for extra gold because I mean Final Fantasy twelve. That was your primary source of income was to take the gold or was to take items you got off of monsters and sell it for a crap ton of money. So to I'm get not... the good ending, you have to collect everything. <laughs> you have to collect everything. But it's all over the ground. It's everywhere. And I don't even know. What I... So somebody explain this to me. Do you know about the saps? Uh, it's just like random stuff. But what just for? Random. What's the whole purpose of these shining shizballs on the ground? Some of them like side quest items. Yeah, several of them are things you need to complete side quests. Um, and be... And... Beyond that, though, yeah, I, I don't think they really serve much of a purpose other than side quest material and, I guess, selling material. I, I don't remember ever selling that stuff. Hmm. Hey, I don't think I ever sold anything unless I just got, like, 30 or 40 of it. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong, it's pretty randomized, right? Yeah. I think it's legitimately randomized. So, going to World of Warcraft and kind of using that analogy for a minute, one of the cool things I liked was sometimes you're running around and you see a mineral node. Uh, you can go up just like World of Warcraft, and you can you can you can get minerals out of it. And I imagine those minerals will be used at some point in crafting something. I don't know what, but I just keep stopping and, and grabbing them because I play Monster Hunter, I play World of Warcraft. That's what I do when I see a mineral node. And and if for some odd reason I had a quest or there was an item I need to build that required electrocyte minerals, I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that at the waterfall. I'm going to go back and get some more, right? Because it should respawn after a while. That makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me, and it's a little bit of a detraction for me, I know I'm anal, is little shining spots all over the ground that's cotton swabs, bunny rabbit tails, and I, I, and I, I don't... And fruits. Oh, and if the fruits are around the trees, the shiny... Okay, that makes sense. But some of the stuff just seems so randomized, and it doesn't quite fit into the world. It doesn't make... You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it kind of pulls me out. Like, hey, arbitrarily, here are just some shiny points with random shiz in them because of arbitrary reasons that you're going to need for arbitrary reasons down the road, or maybe you should just sell them. You don't really know. Maybe you should just hold on to them because you're fearful that there's going to be some mega quest where you need arbitrary item XYZ, and if you sold it, you're screwed. Am I wrong here, or am I missing something? Uh, Sounds about right, I guess. Okay, cool. Yeah. I I remember developing a lot of plants and stuff, so it wasn't that um, strange. Plants are cool. I remember exactly what they were. Yeah, plants are fine. Yeah, I mean, especially if they were like, you know, I, I've been playing a lot of Monster Hunter lately, so I mean, 
yeah, you, you find herbs and mushrooms and stuff all over the ground. And the mushrooms are in the caves and the, you know, the herbs are on the plains. And, and you know, just make it make some sense. And if I want to craft potions, I need to get herbs and honey. And I know where those are at. It's because there's logic to them. So, yeah, like, I distinctly remember there being auburgines of some special type, which I believe is just, uh, which I believe are eggplants. And, uh, okay, so let's let's move on to the aspect. Oh, my gosh. Does anybody mention this game's huge? And beautiful. I mean, for a Wii title, I, I just, it's amazing. I, I want to put the caveat in there that the environments look amazing. The character models, not as much. Especially on 3DS. Especially on yeah, 3DS. I yeah, I actually played both. And, well, I played like two hours of both because I needed to decide, do I want to play it on my 3DS or do I want to play it on the Wii? And you're absolutely right, Mike. The, uh, the characters take a, a huge hit. Uh, on a 3ds version but it is portable it's portable and it's not like like jarring or horrible to look at they're just not like the best Uh, i mean they look pretty one step above how the characters looked in final fantasy 12 where the head bottles just looked very jarring yeah and I can definitely see why Nintendo of America was hesitant to bring this out over here because of that. Because, you know, over there, the PS3 and the Xbox 360 are having these, like, super realistic character models. And then you got the Wii over here with these kind of puppety-looking things. The faces remind me of Vagrant Stories, if anyone's played that on the PS1. That art style and the way that they're kind of painted on. You know, like, almost as a texture on a very simple polygon, but with a lot of emotion in that texture, if that makes sense. Um, At least, you know, for what it was. So you're right. I mean, the character models don't look that awesome on the Wii, but then on the 3DS, apps is right. Like, I I kept comparing uh, the environments and the characters and the towns and the detail. And the biggest jump you'll notice definitely is with the characters. I mean, they just stepped down. Uh, but but yeah, again, kinda... huge RPG on your handheld system. Mm-hmm. It's it's just <laughs> insane. This game is huge. I don't even know how in the hell they fit this on the Wii, but the idea that they somehow fit this on a 3DS cartridge on your hand is insane. Caveat, new 3DS. Yeah, they had to 3DS. pull out new hardware to even get it to run. Still pretty impressive, but yeah, it is above the regular 3DS. Yeah, that's a pretty important caveat because I don't have a new 3DS and I can't play it yet. Yeah, definitely a good point there. Uh, it is the new 3DS, boys and girls, new 3DS. Um, but And it does run really well. The voice acting, I, I believe all the, the voice acting that I tested for the first couple hours was pretty much there. I didn't notice anything that was missing uh, either, which is yeah, I don't something. think they took anything out. Yeah, it's just insane. So. It's yeah. just insane. Uh, and the, and the cutscenes look great. And it's, again, insane. This is the palm of your hand. Um, but anywho, uh, the environments, uh, just absolutely gorgeous, absolutely huge. And as you're walking over, we, I, I'm sure you guys mentioned before that this game takes place on two big, huge Titans call, and you're on Bionis, which is one of the Titans. And as you're moving up the leg and the back and, you know, the wing or the arm or whatever have you, there's all these different environments and and some of them feel very otherworldly it's so Mm. like with glowing trees with fireflies coming off of them or lands just filled with gigantic mushrooms it it almost reminds me uh, in a way of morrowind how morrowind made me feel like i was Mm. in a true fantasy world instead of just some green green hobbit (laughs) land that's that's a really good comparison phil because that's 
that's the the one reason that like Morrowind is the only Elder Scrolls game I've really got into. Just like this weird otherworldly feel to it, and it, it really it really struck me with this game just how interesting the environments are. You know, even even when a lot of it you could say, well, it's a relatively typical JRPG. Just you know, there's no other game that looks like this except its sequel. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, and nothing, you know, not to knock in. But definitely when I went from Morrowind to Skyrim or whatever, yeah, you're just going back into this real-world setting. And it's just, I want to, the idea that a fantasy game should, I don't know, feel fantastical. That the environment should feel fantastical. Not just the characters and their outfits and the spells they cast and the dragons. But that the environment itself is a character that has that level of creativity and time put into it. It's really awesome. And they did a great job of that here. And and what's interesting is I think when I first was you know learning about this game reading up on it the idea of oh you're it's a world where people live on two titans that seems ridiculous uh but the game really sells you on the idea mm-hmm. and the whole world this the world built the world building is just fantastic yeah and in case like, you forget every time you go to a new town they show you exactly where on the bio where on bionis you're at yeah there's a little dot it's... hey you're on the thigh right now you're moving up to the kneecap yeah <laughs> I love that sense of progression in the game as you, mm-hmm. you know, every single time you're making a, a new step in the game, like, yeah, exactly. You make it to the thigh Well, you can see the sword off in the, to the distance. And then once you make it up, I think like you make it to the back and then you can kind of see the head off in the distance. And it was always so much fun. Like you always had that sense of progression as a part of where you were in the game. Mm-hmm. You could, you could look and go like, I'm going to go to that head at some point. I get, one of my favorite things in the game was trying to see just how how high I could climb and how much I could see from a vantage point. Well, and I'm in that village with the little, I forget what the hell they're called, the little potato people. And the Napon. Yeah, Napon. And, I mean, their village alone is like nine or ten stories. Oh, yeah. And you literally oh. keep going around in circles oh, talking... Yeah. He's spending, like, minutes climbing up that. Yeah, and I got that. so lost in that okay. Nippon village. <laughs> I <And> did, too. <laughs> each, floor, <laughs> each floor has, like, five different people for you to talk to. You know? It, it's insane. And then you get to the top, and yeah, you're, there's all these little hidden paths and, and, uh, and segues and whatever. And you just want to see, oh, what's out here? What's out here? And at the very top, I mean, I'm just exploring. I don't have a quest up here or anything like that. But I walk out the very top. they got a lake. How the hell do they put a lake way up there? But they've got it. It's there, and it's gorgeous, and and it's just, it's just amazing. The world building in this is just very creative. Yeah, that leads to the to that ocean too, the Aerith Ocean. It's pretty mind boggling to think they've got an ocean on this massive giant Titan. It, it's incredible. I mean, the imagination, uh, you know, in this game is just, it's just awesome. Um, and some of the creatures that you run into, you know, the, the, some of those areas that have these gigantic ones that, you know, huge. You don't want to mess Donald with Trump them, or else they're going to yeah. stomp a hole in you. Yep, giant apes, giant vaguely dinosaur-looking things, massive. Phil, how far in the game huge. have you gone? About twenty hours. I'm. At, I just got done with the potato village. Uh, okay. Not yeah. Not hot. Whatever. You, they're called potatoes. You ain't seen nothing yet, my friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's huger yeah no it's it's huger 
so yeah, no, it's it's really really big. I mean, the, probably the downfall of me not doing the 3DS version, I would have been twice as far if I if I had used a portable version with all the you know travel I've been doing lately. But uh, anywho, I'll tell you, I'll, we'll talk on the final lap of what I have been doing with my handheld time since I'm not playing Xenoblade Chronicles on my 3DS. But and I think you'll be very interested to hear that, Mister Apps. Uh, it's something I hear that you're a little passionate about, but, uh, but we'll say, we'll, we'll, we'll put that off on the side. Let's talk. So we talked about the environments. We talked a little bit about the, the graphics, the overall, the overall art direction. What do y'all think? I mean, this, this game pushed what it could do on the Wii. That's for sure. It, Mm -hmm. it led me to believe that, you know, there's a lot more to two GameCubes duct together, duct taped together than what people (laughs) let on. (laughs) so yeah just absolutely uh, uh, amazing and i'm you know so i'm playing this today i I don't know how this would have looked on a crt television of course i i'm using a regular whatever tll whatever the hell they're called uh high definition tv and i've got it through the component cables in the back yes yeah playing it in 4k i'm playing it in ultra high definition and there are times where it definitely looks very pixelated, but I, I don't know what else I can expect when I've got it. It does support the widescreen ratio, but that's about it um, because I am spreading those pixels across 50-some-odd inches. So, uh, but I could definitely see, I mean, j- from the artistic perspective, it's definitely, definitely there. And it's got me super excited to move on to Xenoblade Chronicles X and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 because if it ha- if those games have that attention they detail in that art direction I don't know if they do don't spoil me uh, I'll reserve judgment for later but if they do I'm just going to be so happy because it's just amazing I just can't even imagine what something with this kind of artistic direction the same imagination put into it looks in high definition I just... um, man if, if this is blowing your if the artistic direction of this is blowing your mind in Xenoblade Chronicles X it's just going to make your head explode poof it's just gonna be poof uh so let's move on to 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 sound and music i'm I'm gonna ruin the game for everybody spoilers are done spoilers are done no more spoilers that overworld thing (laughs) sounds like dancing queen there's a bunch of when you first get into the world well, it's the Bionis daytime thing she's talking about. Yeah. At least that's the one I keep hearing in Bionis during the daytime. Gar Plains, which plays when you're on the Gar Plains, and that's a little after the, the first area. That's like the, the first major, major, massive area you visit. And, I mean, I guess if you kind of do the auditory version of squinting, it kind of sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, here's what's really funny, guys. If you just Kelly, Google up... thanks a lot. Now if you're you just, me think of my aunts who want to watch Mamma Mia every hobble day. If you just Google up Xenoblade Chronicles Dancing Queen, it comes out with a YouTube video, Xenoblade Chronicles Dancing Queen by Honest Lake Music. So... <laughs> It's the Bionis. They say it's the Bionis leg music, but I can tell you, I'm on the wings or the back or whatever, and it still plays whenever I'm outdoors during the daytime. At night, so it's just a different music. Um, so yes, it is stuck in my head. And I'm yeah, it, I got ABBA. It's just yeah, on I'll, the brain. There are there to me. There are better songs in the soundtrack, but Gar Plains yeah. is really good. Yeah. So uh, aside that's from that, that funny, funny part. What do y'all think of the 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 sound and music? What are your thoughts? Amazing! It is fantastic. Yeah, really good. One of my top tier, like one of the like one of the my most favorite soundtracks in any video game. Uh, there are some, I believe there are three. Yeah, there are three main 
composers for it. Ace Plus, which I think is a, a, a like a, a minor group. Manami Kyoto and Yoko Shimamura does a lot of the major themes. She does the main theme. She does Colony Nine. She does the main battle theme. Uh, she does my favorite theme, um, Unresolved Unresolved Battle, I believe it's called. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, yeah, she's a, she's hers coverage is not as major, but she does a lot of the important themes, and I think like the ending vocal theme was composed by uh, Yasunori Mitsuda, if I remember correctly. But it is fantastic, absolutely beautiful. It uh, it's just the type of soundtrack that just sticks in your brain long, long after you finish playing the game, mm-hmm. and it's one of the few I uh, imported like the actual physical CDs from Japan. It's one of the so with a game that feels like an MMO is really huge has a lot of time sinks kind of built into it when you're questing or you're grinding or whatever have you. Usually for me, I will just at some point just go ahead and grab a podcast or an audiobook or YouTube videos on my iPad and be doing that while I'm playing the game. But the soundtrack in this game is so excellent for the most time, I just crank it up and yeah. I just play that because it it is that good. It is it is awesome. What I really love about it is the variety. Like, you're, it's a long game, but you're not hearing like the same overworld themes over and over again. Like every yeah. every different place has its own theme. There's multiple battle themes, and There's... also, uh, yeah, also every um, like every area has a night theme as well. So that yeah, that too. <laughs> it just. And... Surprises you till the end, and it fits it pretty well too. Like, uh, probably like the the best example I can think of is uh, the Satoral Marsh, which is a strange marshy area. During the day, it's all kind of foggy, and the music uh, is kind of bit is a bit quieter. Although at night, it lights up in this phosphorescent glow, and the music gets all very mystical sounding, and it's a lot prettier. It's really a fantastic fit, and it's not the only like like piece like music piece that really syncs up to the area like that. So cool. Um, uh, I can't think if there's anything else that we haven't. Uh, voice, uh, voice acting, acting I guess. Voice yeah. acting. Oh, yeah, yeah, duh. I got a good feeling. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my gosh. You better get used to the uh, combat slogans because, oh, you're boy. You're going to hear them a lot. You're going to hear them a lot, and you're either going to love them or hate them. Uh, how about, how about uh, you, Mr. Uh, uh, Jarpenter? Do you, do you love them or do you hate them? I loved them. I mean, you know, we got the uh, all the British voice acting from the original European localization, and I always thought they were fantastic. It it is a pretty neat, interesting. It's a neat fit. It's not like I I don't. It doesn't quite. It's not like it fits as well as a glove as like uh, the last story did, especially with the use of like accents in that one. But it's still a really like it, it adds that extra sort of mysticalness to us Americans who don't hear that those accents as often. No, and I mean... uh, they do a pretty good job. I mean, all kidding aside about the annoying constant chattering during battle. I mean, to me, voice acting can make or break a game. If you've got to listen to annoying voices the entire game, then it can just ruin it. And that being said, this one, I, I love the voices in this, in this game, particularly Shulk's voice. And, you know, even Ricky's voice. Um, you expect a character like that to be really annoying and grating and kind of getting on your nerves, and he was actually quite reserved and kind of cute. He was the best. Adorable. He's adorable. Daddy pun. I, uh, I I personally am a huge fan of English voice acting, so I was okay with the combat things over and over again. I think they did a good job of kind of pumping me up, but the, yeah, I like listening to the voice acting, personally. I'm not a, a good critic of voice acting. 
Um, I was even able to tolerate Arkwright's Fantasia somehow. So go figure. Uh, I enjoyed it. Okay, is there anything else we haven't discussed along those lines? Uh, anything about the game? Uh, <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> so let's do our ra- let's go ahead and do our round table while I uh, look up some 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 prices here, and I'll chime in on that in just a minute after I pull. I guess I should have done that earlier. But uh, but uh, Mike, you know, you're just jumping in. What do you think of Xenoblade Chronicles? Well, it's a game that I played for review on the 3DS, and even though I had imported it from Europe for the Wii and eventually bought the uh, American release too, never really played that much of it, so uh, I was expecting it to kind of be like this little overrated thing, and it absolutely sucked me in, uh, and it went from something I expected to be overrated to probably in my top five best of all time. Like, I absolutely love the characters, I love the combat, the music, the story. Uh, it's just an absolutely brilliant game, and uh, I'm very, very glad that I got to review it. Otherwise, uh, I probably may never have actually played it through to the end. But uh, but is it worth $97.99? Yes. On what? Uh, on the Wii, I'm assuming. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the 3DS version if you want it brand new from Amazon. <laughs> you can get it. <laughs> uh, you, yeah, it's worth it. You can get it uh, off of eBay for significantly less or get a used version. Uh, I do see one person who's got their bid only at $21 right now, so you have that option. Uh, you can't find it cheaper. Is it on a shop? Uh, yeah, probably. It should be. Right, should be. Uh, you could get the Wii version off of Amazon for $40, brand new. Man, that so, came down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so grab that. But there's only nine left in stock. I think it's a third-party seller fulfilled by Amazon type of deal. So that price may fluctuate if you wait too long. Uh, how about you, Miss Rammels? What are your final thoughts on the game? Uh, I love this game. I mean, it first caught my eye with that little brief unexplained trailer at that E3 so many years ago when it was still called Monado Beginning of the World. Uh, I just, I loved, I just absolutely loved it. I love the music, love the characters, love the story. Even if I find myself having a really hard time remembering the specifics, uh, the combat is not my most favorite, but I, I still enjoy it a lot. And I, Really can't wait to move on to the sequel. I'm hoping to get to that sometime in the next year. A little less enthusiastic about X, but uh, but yeah, the original game is fantastic. And if you have a Wii or a Wii U or the new 3DS, get it, I'd say. How about uh, you, Mr. Jospinter? Um, I'm really glad this game came out on new 3DS because I kind of missed out on it when it came out on back originally on the Wii. And I don't even really remember why I did, but I just, you know, like it, it, it was, you know, there and gone at GameStop so quickly. I missed it. But yeah, the game was just it was really fantastic. I mean, I, I it's it's definitely the game I sank the most time into on the 3DS. And it's been one of my favorites of the last few years. OK. And you miss really? I mean, if you have a Wii, it is worth tracking down, and even when it was expensive, I would have said that it was worth the price. But now that it's only forty bucks, I mean, I you unless you just absolutely hate RPGs, I see no reason not to pick it up to have it mm-hmm. to have it in your collection, and it's a nice little. I don't want to say time sink because that has negative connotations, but it's a nice, it's a nice use of your time to play through it. Put it that way. 
And, uh, you know, I'll be talking about this more over the next, you know, few months or maybe even the year if it takes me that long to get through it. Uh, so, you'll, you know, you get my final thoughts at the end. My, my early impression is, uh, you know, despite my frustrations uh, with the combat, the, the music, <coughs> the imagination, the art, and the promise of, like, this awesome story, it's starting out okay, you know. But I'm sure the plot twists and the payoffs come later on. One of the reviews I had read said something along the lines of, you know, when you play a role-playing game, you usually have an expectation of like a 40-hour experience, you know, whether it's a you know Final Fantasy X or whatever have you. When you play Xenoblade Chronicles, you need to reset those expectations. So I did that before I even put the disc in. I thought to myself... This is probably going to be a 100-hour investment just to get through the main story. I'm not a completionist. I'm a kind of guy that plays my role-playing games generally for the stories, and I move on. Uh, so 20 hours in, I'm not kidding myself. I'm not telling people I'm halfway through, nor do I even feel – I feel like story-wise, I just kind of begin – you know, start the beginning. You know, with that being said, it doesn't feel like to me that there's all this unnecessary padding. You would think if you're going to double or triple the length of a standard RPG that there's a danger of like, gosh, only 20 hours in. I'm still only in the beginning. It must feel like it's really boring. No, there's still constantly a lot of dialogue, a lot of things that happen during those 20 hours that are moving things along, and it kind of keeps me interested. So it doesn't just feel like I'm playing World of Warcraft for 20 hours, which would be kind of boring. I'm not a huge fan of the World of Warcraft formula, especially from a single-player perspective. So uh, it's definitely going to be half the story that really brings it home for me. But in the meantime, uh, the story bits that I am getting, plus the graphics and the music and the imagination put in the game are pulling me through even some of the more frustrating moments in the combat. Plus, you know, the, the grinding part is really awesome. I do like beating up on the regular critters. That is fun. Um, so cool. Uh, so go out and buy it. We told you where to get it. And while you're going on and you're getting, or you're putting your Wii back in, which is really fun, by the way, hooking back up the Wii to a modern day TV and then getting the controllers to work. By the way, those batteries go dead when you leave them in there for a few years. Yeah. <laughs> batteries in general. <laughs> I can't believe my rechargeable, like, I have to weak, like, the, the special rechargeable things. I can't believe they'll still actually work once I recharge them again. So, uh, so yay. Uh, we're gonna take a, we're gonna take a break, and we're gonna come back and talk about lots of different things in the final lap.
this is the final lap where we read your comments, we do kitchen sink stuff, and I entertain Mr. Apps with what I've been doing on my 3DS lately. Uh, so uh, we're going to tell uh, y'all, I, I don't know, we're, we got, we'll, we'll do another show in the future. We usually talk about the next show. I don't even know what we're doing next. We'll do something. We keep changing <laughs> our plans anyways. Unless you know for a fact what we're doing, Mike. Do you know what we're doing? Um, No. Okay, I, I I will. I think we'll discuss it shortly. But uh, I can just pick something out of the air right now. And our next show is going to be Final Fantasy fourteen. What can no, I do for you? Fourteen, not I ten. Two. What is it? You. you really like that song for some reason. What can I do for you? There, that is my spur of the moment decision, and it will probably not come off at all. Ampersand. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, but let's talk about uh, your comments from our previous show. It was episode 180, Awakening the Fire. And uh, Cassandra, I believe you had a comment about something you forgot to mention on that last show. Uh, what? About Donald I... being voiced acted by a, oh, somebody? Oh, right, just a, sort of a, another funny, unintentional character <laughs> relations thing where... Donald is voiced by is voiced by what basically the okay if I remember correctly Donald is voiced by um what is what voiced by uh Drat, Eden Regal and uh, Sam Regal he is a popular father for Na Na's uh, Noe's daughter and Noe is voiced by Eden Regal their real life brother and sister it's just a, just a funny thing little trivia for you might come up on the next time you're on Jeopardy hmm. um uh Shaman says I may have missed it running for a bus, but did did we mention the character uh, Killiam? I, I, yes, we did. We did. Okay. All right. Uh, we, we definitely went through all the characters. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we, we had a list. We had a wiki list. There is uh, also there's a multiplayer, uh, which we really didn't go through. There's Street Pass, our local co-op, or competitive battling. It was actually surprisingly robust in my local Street Pass group for a while. Huh. Well, that's cool. Uh, and the such. So, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. And RT Party says, yeah, I definitely like the direction Fire Emblem began with Awakening. I don't much care for Shadow Dragon, but I'm definitely glad I gave the series another chance. And as we discussed, it definitely broadened the series to a whole new audience. I mean, just appealed to a whole new audience anyways. So that's awesome. So thank you for your comments. You too can leave your comments at forums.rpgaper.com. You can hit up the Twitter. I'm at JC Servant or at you may send for Mr. Minky. We love to hear what you have to say. We're happy to read those comments on the show. And along those lines, if you would like to talk about some of your favorite games, you're all, I mention this every once in a blue moon, but you're welcome to talk about your favorite game for five to 10 minutes. If you can go ahead and do a monologue on that and wrap it up into an MP3 follow and put some little uh, sound effects on it or some intro and outro music. It's pretty easy for me to do. So uh, you can talk about a game. Uh, you hear how we do this on the main event. We talk a little about the, you know where it came from, when it came out, what system it's on. And then we talk about what we like and don't like and give a little bit about this, the, the game. You're more than welcome to do that and mail that in. In fact, Miss Cassandra Ramos, who's on the show now, is actually pretty famous for doing that before she was even a staff member. She would send us little little strawberry egg segments. And we would attach them <laughs> to the end of our show. So you, too, can be that guy who uh, shares their thoughts. Uh, RPG Backtrack is a library of your memories with your favorite RPGs. So we're happy to do that. Uh, and you would just mail those... Um, 
I guess you just email him. Boy, my email address is really long. Tell you what, if you want to do it, hit me up on Twitter at JC Service, and I'll send you my email address because spelling that out in a podcast is really difficult. So uh, let's do our round table where we talk about what we're doing on the website and, oh, website, lots of reviews. Go check out rpgamer.com. They host our podcast. Uh, we all work at the site. And uh, we have lots of reviews. Remember, rpgamer.com is your source for news reviews, and 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 it's done by people who are passionate about RPGs, who play the games all the way through, and in some instances, not that I can relate, suffer all the way through the games. So uh, check that out for our our reviews. We we are paid off by big corporate conglomerates to fake the scores. <laughs> I, <do. laughs> I, would like, I would like to refresh everyone's memory that on something. Uh, what was it? Uh, that Dragon Ball Z Harukano Densetsu game. I only got one of the endings in that game. I suppose, and that was after trying to get another one and uh, sunk three hours into a level and lost it all when I died. So, uh, <laughs> but I did. I did see an ending. And that was enough because that game was a pile of junk. Oh, we've got we've right now we've got new reviews up there. If you're a Switch fan, you're going to be very happy because we got a Fire Emblem Warriors review up. We got a review on Golf Story. We got a review on <coughs> Battle Chasers Night War for the PS4. God Wars. I did not Future Paths, which I did not realize was. I, I don't know if that's recent or not. I didn't realize it was on the PS4. But you apps would know about that. Was that recent? Did I miss that? PS4 and Vita. I mean, no, Vita. Sometime earlier this year. I didn't realize it was PS4, though. back in June. Ah, okay. Must have missed that. Uh, we also have uh, Blue Reflection by Miss Sam Wakamater and uh, and a whole bunch of articles. So please, uh, you'll definitely want to go and check that out. Plus, we have other podcasts on there, like the Active Topical Banter, the Q&A Quest, and RPG Cast, which goes over a lot more recent events. Okay, now it's time for the round table. So each one of you can talk about what you're doing and what your mind is on and everything else. So we'll start off with Miss Relly. Well, I'm actually doing a blast from the very distant past because I started up Fantasy Star 4 just for the heck of it. I don't know what got me... Well, I've been in a 16-bit mood lately because I got my SNES Classic and, of course, I hacked it so that I could have as many games as I wanted on it. So I turned it into an RPG machine. And And you managed to put Genesis games on it, too? No, I'm actually... (laughs) I'm actually playing it on the PS3 collection because that collection is pretty solid. But this started because I, you know, put a whole bunch of RPGs on there and just got was testing testing them out and kind of sucked into playing them. And it's like I really want to play something 16-bit right now. So looked at it, it was like okay, it was between Mario RPG. Breath of Fire 2 and Fantasy Star 4, and I realized that of those games that Fantasy Star 4 was the one that I remembered the least, because the last time I played it was in 2003 or 4 when the Game Boy Advance collection came out. And I know that Fantasy Star Which- 4... Yeah, it isn't yeah, on it the game. Yeah, it wasn't even board. on there. <laughs> yeah, what it was was that I played through the other three, and then I was like, well, crap, I don't want to continue this story. So I ended up eBaying a cart. Oh, you that. are lucky, because I remember my, that glitch for the save files of Fantasy Star 1, that hit me on the stupid collection. Yeah, that I, hit me a few times. I, I still got through it, but that hit me a few times. I never had that glitch, which I must have been really lucky, and I don't have, normally have that kind of luck. Usually if I have a glitch, 
I will get hit with it pretty hard. But, but you know, finding Fantasy Star a Fantasy Star Four cart for twenty bucks was lucky, given that na- now that game goes for ridiculous prices, and I ended up spending the same amount on a manual, and then just <laughs> bu- buying a Genesis box and making my own box for it and call it good because I'm not paying ninety dollars for a flimsy piece of cardboard just to get a complete a complete CIB set. Yeah, doesn't doesn't everyone love how Sega tried to get environmentally friendly with those nice cheap little cardboard boxes late in the Genesis yeah. life? Yeah, my <laughs> poor Sonic and Knuckles box has some stories to tell. Same Actually, with mine. Same with my Shining Force Two box. Uh, oh my god, my Shining Force Two box is so beat up. Actually, I've had Genesis nostalgia all year because when Sonic Mania came out, I actually bought a Genesis box and printed out a label for Sonic Mania and put the little mini cart that came with the collector's edition in a box and stuck it with the rest of my <laughs> Sonic games just because I had to. That's felt awesome. like I had. To. And Anna and Chris actually snagged me a manual from PAX, which they I need to bug them to send to me. But, yeah, it was kind of neat seeing all five, was it four or five Sonic games together on one shelf? Nice. Yeah. But Are back you counting Fantasy, 3D Blast? <laughs> you know, I have a box copy of 3D Blast, but I don't really count that one either. Did you play the uh, the new Sonic game? Not the new new one, but the the kind of I forget what the hell it's called. The one that was like the reimagining Sonic Mania. Yeah, Mania. Yeah. Did you play? Did you like yeah. that one? Oh yeah, I bought the collector's edition <laughs> of that, and I currently have the Sonic statue um, sitting on a shelf next to my TV. Sweet. I I bought that because I felt like I owed it to my ten year old self to purchase that. Sonic is pretty. Sonic is pretty much the reason why I'm talking to you guys right now because that that video game series is what really got me hard into video games, and I was a huge fan of the Sonic comics back in the day. So I drew. drew hey, a so lot was of, I. Yeah, me so too. I drew a lot of I, the characters. I really wish I hadn't sold off my collection for a pitiful amount of money because it would probably be worth even more now. Um, I actually have a complete set of the collection, or a complete set of the comics. I subscribed to that since I was 10 years old, and I was actually very sad when it ended this year. Good job. So, yes, so much of my early internet memories are because of Sonic and just being a huge fan of 16-bit games in general. Okay, I have to ask. I have never played it. Have you played Knuckles Chaotix? I have very briefly, and I'm glad I didn't waste money on a 32x for that because that game is that game is so. It's like you could tell that they had a good idea in the oven, but they didn't let it percolate a whole lot. If that makes any sense. No, I can picture that. I just that's the only Sonic game which is really freaking hard to play even now. And what else is there on the 32x? Cosmic Carnage. I hear Star Wars that Arcade is good. Yeah, I guess, but if you play it now, you'll probably just go, wow, look at the huge polygons. It's almost as immersive as, uh, what, what the hell was it? That one cart, which they put on the Genesis for $100. That Oh, Virtual Racer? Racing game. Virtual Racer, thank you, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's funny that we're mentioning 16-bit stuff. Just taking it back to Fantasy Star, um, a lot of my nostalgia for Fantasy Star was playing it on the Sega channel. And you bringing up Virtual Racer kind of brought back that memory because I remember Virtual Racer was on the Sega channel at one point. But the game was so huge that you could only play, like, one track or something like that. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right, because dial-up is just not conducive for much in the way of uh, past gaming. Well, the problem wasn't necessarily the internet connection itself, because it was a cable con- connection, so it was pretty much a proto-cable modem, modem before that was a thing. The problem was that the RAM size was only so big, so really huge games that took up a lot of RAM couldn't all fit on the Sega the Sega Channel cartridge cart. Like when they yeah, put that fits. when they put 3D Blast on the Sega Channel, they actually had to split it up into two parts, and you had to beat part one and then and put a password in part two. <clears throat> I beat Sonic 3D Blast. I. How did we get onto Sonic 3D Blast? I'm not quite sure. I played uh, it on Saturn. So did I. I played it on Genesis times. and Saturn. Oh, the music! Actually, the music is great on both of them, but I it doesn't feel much like Sonic. And we're <laughs> we got on I, it. Because... I think I think we're repelling Cassandra right now. She hasn't had much to say for a while. <laughs> uh, it's almost like talking about 3D. Sonic games in the Genesis era is kind of a niche thing. <laughs> uh, we got on it because I've been on a little bit of a 16-bit nostalgia kick, which is why I started Fantasy Star 4 again and playing it with adult eyes. It was like, okay, I can kind of see why I never finished this back in the day on the Sega channel because I would always get to Zeo's Castle and then get horribly stuck and then not want to grind for the whatever long it took to be able to get past that and because I knew that by the time I did that the game would be off the service for that month so I usually would just throw on Shining Force for the umpteenth time and I I could play Shining Force in my sleep so I kind of wanted to play through Fantasy Star 4 again with adult eyes and enjoy it like I could when I was younger and you know it's there's kind of a lull right now with gaming for me because, you know, who knows what if my family's going to get me anything for Christmas, so I didn't want to start anything too huge. And Fantasy Star really isn't that long of a game. No, and even if you grind, I remember trying to grind at the end to be able to just utterly destroy uh, the profound darkness. And it, in an hour or so, I was up five or so levels. It's It's a fast game. Mm-hmm. Man, I can't get over how good the presentation is in that game. You know, pe- people gripe about the Genesis being the inferior system, but when people knew what they were doing on the Genesis, they could make, put out some amazing things on it. Yes, they did. I I don't necessarily. Fantasy Star Four looks great. It sounds great. But what comes to mind for me would probably be Gunstar Heroes because that game looks amazing. Oh my it god! Plays amazingly. That's my favorite Genesis game. That's not a Sonic or Shining game. <laughs> I yeah, love it. and it, it's awesome. And if you just look at it, people would swear that's not that's the Genesis, really. That looks like it's they're doing it on Super Nintendo. Um, no, Restar is Treasure just knew one. what the hell they were doing. Yeah, yeah Restar is another one that looks amazing on the Genesis. Or hell, Sonic Three and Sonic Three and Knuckles looks amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Shining Force looks okay, although on some of the larger sprites, the color, you can kind of tell the limitations of the color palette a little bit. You can, but also for the style of game, it's much easier to accept it. No, nobody goes into strategy games even now thinking, this is going to blow my mind with its visuals. Yeah, but e- even when I was younger, I really enjoyed how large the battle sprites were when you would cut away to actually get into the fights. That was something that I always appreciated in Shining Force. Yeah, I would agree. And I also like that they come and go quickly. You don't have to sit there for a 30-second animation, which a lot of games try to do now. Or try yeah. to do then. Yeah, I get a little tired of that in Fire Emblem after a while. I, I got tired of that in Disgaea, too. I um, finished that recently for a future backtrack. Or rather, Disgaea D2. We better not, we better not talk about that. We'll, we'll have a Yeah, that's burning material. <laughs> okay. Besides, if we start talking about it now, then Mr. Apps will probably just freak out because we're excluding him. Yeah, uh, Disgaea D2. <laughs> See? That, I knew it. Let me pull out my dissertation. <laughs> oh, boy. So, uh, <laughs> moving on, uh, how about uh, M- Mr. Uh, Kashua? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, about the last thing I've done on the side, I wrote an editorial about trying to uh, curb my addiction to side quests, which kind of seems apt for the game we were talking about tonight. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, yeah, this is not going to help out your addiction any. No. This is a game where you really do have to kind of decide, like, are are you going to do everything, or are you going to try and, like, tone it back a bit? (laughs) It's hard. It really does. Do you want to finish the game in one season, or do you want to spread it out through the year? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's actually pretty conducive to the game we just talked about. (laughs) Yeah, and otherwise I've been, like, in terms of gaming, I've just been going through like gaming ADD, one of those things. I've been trying to play Demon Gaze 2 for review, and that's perfectly okay. But um, everyone, I don't know, I just keep getting the urge lately to try and play some other stuff. And then I've been trying to go through a couple of other games for like kind of like game of the year, working through the backlog. So I've also been bouncing between that and Horizon Zero Dawn and Near Automata. So I am just, like, overloaded with games right now. <laughs> Are you by chance from Utah? <laughs> no, Alabama. <laughs> oh, that's... Because, you know... Because, you know, in Utah, we're known for our polygamy. <laughs> <laughs> as you might have noticed, my forum handle at RP Gamer says JC Servant. Utah polygamist. I actually had somebody come out and go, You're a polygamist? A real-life Utah poly... The extra E makes all the difference. There's an E in there, and it's because I. It is I am just I. I am loyal to one people. I am loyal to one woman in my life, but when it comes to my games, I just can't. It's like Pringles. Can't have just one. I just I can't stick with the game. Uh, So totally understand that. Anything else uh, for you there that you want to share? No, that's pretty much everything that's been going on lately. Alrighty, so we'll move on to Miss Ramen Noodles. Didn't want oh, to feel Ramen. left out of the name. Okay, thing. <laughs> uh, for the site, I've mostly been just doing admin stuff, making sure the forums don't uh, get, get too chaotic. Uh, there has been a recent uh, feature 
uh, uh, called the Backlog in the Year 2018. Uh, it's, it's Sam, Sam called it up. <laughs> yes, uh, she had every as, you know, and people on staff uh, that wanted to contribute, uh, pick one game that we wanted to eliminate from our backlog that we would finish in the year. Though looking at the header, it says here that she would check up at various points in the year to see if we have completed the title that we have selected. Uh, I picked uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4, which I've been letting sitting around my collection since it got out, and I still want to jump ahead, just skip ahead to Apocalypse, but I know this is more or less the the previous game. I mean, it's like Apocalypse is like somewhere between a mid-pool and a sequel. I don't quite understand. But since Shin Megami Tensei 5 has been announced, I really should get to this game. So maybe after I complete Ultra Moon, which I haven't actually started yet. (laughs) You're not missing much. Uh, yeah, that's what I that's what I hear, unfortunately. So as far as uh, I mean, guess then there's some some other features coming out soonish. So keep an eye out for those. As for gaming, I've actually been rather slow in that department. Um, uh, recent, like just that back in November, uh, the latest book in the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson, Oathbringer, came out. It's a massive book, and I just recently finished that. <laughs> Um, so, and I tried to think, okay, I'll, I'll read this book and I'll play Pokemon Ultra Moon, but it's a massive book and I, I, it's, I'm not so enthusiastic about playing Ultra Moon since despite the title and hoping that it's something like a sequel, like, uh, black and white, black, Pokemon black, Pokemon white two, um, it's actually like emerald and yellow version and crystal version where it's just a slightly different, slightly enhanced version of the previous game. And it just. There's a reason I never played those, except for Crystal. It just doesn't sound that fun. But on the other, other hand, it has a few new Pokemon, and I can't complete my Pokedex without this game, so... Um, I just finished the Ghost Trial, and still nothing has really diverged yet. I mean, there's, like, very slight differences, but just slight. Yeah, I hear a lot of that at the end. Yeah, I hear a lot of that at the end, and, like, the the Rainbow Rocket thing is kind of shoehorned in pretty late in the game, so that sounds like a disappointment. But again... There's five new Pokemon in this game, and I can't complete my Pokedex without them, so, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I have a living Pokedex, so I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, <laughs> I'm not exactly happy that they were very dodgy about saying whether or not this but, was a sequel or a third game. Yeah, or how much how different it would be. Like, a lot of those made it look like it was being really different, and, well, yeah. too bad. Okay, uh, I did. I did get a Switch for my birthday. Um, I only have Xenoblade Two for it, and I downloaded the uh, the Project Octopath Travel- Travelers demo. I completed the uh, uh, Primrose's story. It's really neat. I I really do want to play the full game when it comes out. But yeah, other than that, I haven't been doing a lot of gaming. Okie dokie. Oh, I do intend to finish uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions ASAP, but it's still Ooh. going a little slower than I'd like. Oh, that's a good one. That's uh, a good game. And I want to put it—I want to put an additional plug uh, just to piggyback on what you said about uh, the the you know the backlogging for the year and the other articles on our site. You know, I plug our site on our podcast not because Mac is holding a gun to my head saying if you're doing a podcast <laughs> for us, you need to plug our site. I plug our site on just about every podcast I do because it really is awesome stuff. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably listening because you love RPGs, you love the hobby, and there's articles on there that you absolutely want to go and check out and read. And that was one of my favorite articles just to read. I unfortunately didn't have the time to contribute to that myself, but I enjoyed reading 
uh, how all the other people were planning on spending their year catching up their backlog or working on some of their backlog, uh, which is something I'm constantly thinking about myself. So I thought that was a great article, and there's that and many others if you just poke around our website. So go and check that out. Uh, Mr. Apps. Uh, so I have, um, for the site, it's pretty much just uh, Q&A quest right now. Uh, we're getting ready to do like a year-end show, so we're going to be looking for people to send in like thoughts about the year in games. You know, I hear there were a few decent games this year. Well, maybe just a few. Two. Just yeah, a few. Just a, just a couple. Twelve. I was I was just watching like a number. I mean, there's already been a number of top ten lists that came out, and when games like Horizon Zero Dawn and the such are like number six. <laughs> you know, first of all, those people are messed up in the head. But second of all, you know it's a really good year. Yeah. Yeah. So recently, to prepare myself to for Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I fired up Xenoblade Chronicles X, which I had uh, at some point stopped playing for a while. I think because it came out at the same time of some Disgaea game that I didn't end up liking and had to review and kind of ruined my gaming for a while. And it totally doesn't rhyme with Disgaea Me Too, right? No, it does not, actually. Disgaea Jive, perhaps? Yes, that's the one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I fired that up over the Thanksgiving break, and you know, a few days later, I was like, oh, I just put 15 hours into this game. And yeah, I've been kind of playing that off and on even since Xenoblade Chronicles 2 came out, which has been really good so far. Uh, so been playing lots of Xenoblade lately, and I also recently started firing up Breath of the Wild again, which is not good for my free time. So you did it to yourself. You knew it's true. It's true. Uh, I've already put in God knows how many hours in that game. So, but now I'm doing hard mode. So at least it's slightly different. I found myself doing the same thing when I bought the DLC, of course. I, like an idiot, bought the DLC on the Switch version, forgetting that I played the Wii U version. Oh, oops. Oh, dear. But yeah, other than that, uh, for that recent feature on the backlog feature, um, the game I chose was Romancing Saga 2, which you might you might say, hey, that came out on smartphones like a year ago. How have you not played that? And uh, because you were waiting for a better interface, exactly. Because <laughs> as it turns out, if I am gaming, doing any sort of gaming on my smartphone, it's Hearthstone, and <laughs> I have had no luck in changing that. So now that there's finally a uh, a plethora of options for me to play the damn thing on, I've been I've I guess been cheating a little and started playing it already on PS4 and Vita. So. Looking forward to talking more about that game because it's pretty interesting. And a great way to say for certain people on this podcast, maybe scratch their 16-bit itch. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I did buy Romancing Saga both on the mobile and on the Switch. Yes. And I am glad that the Switch version came out because it's so much better. Uh, Yeah. So, and I... It really heartens me to see so many people uh, giving it a try because uh, the Saga series is not really in the most popular shape right now. Um, I actually got into the Saga series because of Backtrack. That uh, Backtrack that you guys did about the 16-bit games really got me interested because the story just sounded so amazing. 
And we still don't have an official English version of Romancing Saga 3. Yeah, well, that's... I believe they... I don't know if it's out yet. I know that's coming to mobile in Japan. Uh, so given they, they've well, brought this over to the U.S., there's always the chance. There is the chance. I don't know if we want Square Enix to just throw out a machine translation, though, which could yeah. happen. Um, there was an in, there was an interview of the saga guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Kawazu. Uh, yeah, Kawazu. Uh, saying that or he, he or wants can more. Call him the maestro. It's okay. Um, <laughs> he was saying that he wants more saga games out in the West, and that he hopes that they that the ports of the Romancing Saga three do well, so that the West can get more saga games. So there's hope. It seems like the right time for it because there's a lot there's a lot more variety out there now. There's a lot more people playing open worldy type games, more open ended games. So I think there's probably a much bigger audience for that type of game than there was in the past. Yeah, I I kind of explained it to the guys on um, the R, the main RP gamer um, podcast that you know Sonic games are pretty much like Western JRPGs if that makes sense. Whoa, at whoa, 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 wait, wait. Did you just said did did you just say the main RP? First of all, young lady, you might you're a little new here. I'm gonna cut you just a tiny bit of slack here, but this is the main RP gamer podcast. Now the other one that you're talking about is probably called RPG Cast, but just make no mistake. The foundation starts here, okay? Just say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> after that flub. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the saga games are so open-ended that you can't, you can't, you basically just kind of start them and you get plunked in the middle and you got to figure out what to do. And that was, when I learned that about Saga Frontier, when I played through it, it was like my whole world was opened up. Yeah, you should go back and try the original Game Boy games. Which um, uh, I have played Saga One on the Game Boy. I have not played through Saga Two yet. Uh, Saga Two is so much better. The, the, the question, since you're an expert, is: yes. Should I play the original Game Boy one, or should I play a fan translation of the DS one? Um, I, I don't think you can go wrong either way. I would say that the DS one is a little slower to play. Combat's a, a bit pokier. So, um, if you could try both, go for that. Otherwise, there's really nothing wrong with the Game Boy 1 if you want to just play that. Okay. Now, I I think you would have a recommendation in the case of Saga 3, though, right? Yes. Uh, I have no kind words for the original version of that, but the remake is pretty awesome. Okay. Even though Mac likes the original version the best of them. Okay, I'm glad I talked to the Saga expert because I'm still kind of new at Sagaing. And you know, it's funny. Is I played I played them on the original Game Boy way back in the day, driving my mom's car and such. And yeah, I could definitely vouch for how much awesomeness there is in number two. It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's really great. And word to the wise that anyone tries the original game that has never played it, ignore, do not use Monster Party members. They suck. Oh yeah, yeah, no, just 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 don't and say you did. Unless yeah. maybe you like a more difficult experience. Yeah. You're looking for some mind. challenge. You know? Yeah. Never use Monster Party members? Pretty much never, yeah. Uh, okay. The sequel, two, go for it. Try okay. whatever you want. But one, um, 
to get like the monsters at the same level that you can advance the other two races, the humans and mutants, is more trouble than it's worth. Okay. I I made it through the first game just fine, although I did beat the final boss by the skin of my teeth. But I, I did use a monster party member. You can you can definitely get by with them. Um but yeah. For I think for a lot of new people, uh it could be pretty tough. Good but yeah, mutants mutants are I think probably the the best as far as offensive output in the game and also don't require you to feed them a bunch of potions to increase their stats. Okay. The nice thing about playing saga games in the modern age is that if you get stuck, you can watch a Let's Play now to kind of figure out what to do, too. (laughs) This is true. Anything anything else for us, Mr. Abs? Um, I think that's about it. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, have not done any reviews in a long time and I uh, probably done doing that. So, uh, yeah, if I highly recommend people send questions and stuff to Q and a quest, like I said, we're doing a year end show will be our next one. So it's definitely, obviously a lot to talk about this year. So I'd, I'd be curious to see what people, uh, what people's favorite games out of the, you know, one or two good games this year were. Here's one. Has Mac tried to sit, to slip you Mugen Soul Z anytime recently? Not recently, no. Okay. He he learned his lesson the first time, right? I, I think he's waiting for like the opportune moment. Maybe if it comes out on Steam, I'll suddenly find an unified, unidentified Steam gift waiting for me or something. Why am I picturing him putting it in your bed like in the horse-heading godfather? <laughs> <laughs> because I think that's how he initially tried to get it to wheels, right? Yeah, I forget what game it was for, but it, he, he gave me some game to review, and I think he sent me two codes. So I, I go to redeem the first one, not sure why there were two or whatever, and it, I almost clicked redeem until I noticed, <laughs> oh, this is a code for Mugen's for freaking Mugen's Soul C. Delete, delete. <laughs> and then Trent got it and he got to have joy with Mujin Soul Z. I think it may have broke him, so I kind of feel bad about that. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. I, re- I remember he wanted to try and review that. He thought he could handle it, and then it, yeah, it kind of did break him. <laughs> A pain I only, I know only too well. Not from that particular game, though. Uh, Mr. Miki. Well, let's see here. I finally got another proof on it, and I just put up a review for Lunar Silver Star Harmony, which I probably should have played a few months ago, and however long that was ago that we did Lunar 1. I can't remember now. Everything's blending together in my mind. But I figured, all right, it's on the the PSN. Let me try this thing. And, hmm. You know, there comes a point when the combat in a game just starts to seem like a waste of time, especially when there's lots of load times involved and whoever programmed it forgot to make the sound contiguous so that it fades out every time there's a load screen. That's just really annoying. And Lunar Silver Star Harmony has that problem. I, I never got used to it. What have I been playing? Oh, yes, I put up a review of Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga plus Bowser's Minions. 
which I ended up having to buy on my own because apparently some jerk took Nintendo's early review copy and just threw it out there on YouTube or something like that, and Nintendo wasn't giving out any more review copies. So Ooh. thanks, whoever you are. Ruin it for it's everybody like, else. It's not like Nintendo was super trusting in the first place. Now you've made it even worse. And, yeah, if you liked Superstar Saga way back in the, in the day, or whenever you played it, you'll probably still like it. And Bowser's Minions is ridiculously silly. It's I never thought I'd be experiencing an RTS in the Mario world, but that's kind of what you get with it. So Mario StarCraft? <laughs> More like Goomba StarCraft. <laughs> Goomba Craft? Yes. Everyone knows that when Goombas hit things with their heads, well, they're they already are... Do- doing turn-based with XCOM style with rabbits. Why not Goomba StarCraft? <laughs> I was going to say. Can you Goomba really, Rush? You can make a game of all Goombas, <laughs> sure. I don't know if that would be the greatest of options, because we have, of course, a small unit matching system where all the if you have all Goombas and they're facing a whole bunch of paratroopers, they'll probably get their butts kicked, but you can go for it. Uh, what else did I play? I don't remember. What the hell did I play? Was I still playing Interior Odyssey 5 when we last did this? I probably was. Well, I finished that. I did a review for it. Interior Odyssey 5 is good. Unless you don't like Interior Odyssey, in which case, go away. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying Uh, this isn't going to change people's minds? No. However, if you want more Etrian Odyssey, this will give you more Etrian Odyssey. I admit that I didn't go through the entire post-game dungeon, which gets... I think they they derive some sick pleasure from making them as frustrating as possible. Here are super annoying foes, and here's poison cells every two steps, and here's... Have fun with all the teleporters that bounce you between floors on this one. <laughs> but... I did play through a bunch of that and got to see the freaky weird aliens that you start fighting once you go into space, which is, of course, where the bonus dungeon is. <laughs> we were alert. <laughs> oh, yeah, because everyone plays Entry Nazi for the plot, right? I, I do. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sorry, Kelly. I'm, no, that, 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 that's, oh, that's, you, that's okay. Just go to bed real fast and then, uh, I don't know, Drink some NyQuil or something, and you'll probably forget what we just t- mentioned. Oh, I, I'm sure. I, I'll just, you know, down some wine, and I'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, I can't even remember games that I've just played, so. Um, and what am I playing? Oh, yes, I'm playing Tales of Hearts R right now. I don't know how I got onto that, but I am, mm. and I'm having fun for some of it. Yep. I'm going to mute my mic now, so you can't <laughs> hear the rage. Mm. I wasn't going to rage that much. No, I was going to rage. Oh, maybe we maybe we should save this because I'm thinking that there may be, we need to do another Tales episode in the future. There are just so many Tales games that have come out since we last did this, and this is one of them. And, hey, Mike, did you know that people have exactly one gesture in every dramatic situation that they will do over and over and over again? Because I didn't until I played this game. Reminds me of Sense of Destruction. There's Beryl. Her her dramatic gesture is that she will shake her arms really fast like she's a toddler. And everyone else just seems to do the 
the dramatic sweep with their right arm as if they're in a play on stage. And that's the only thing they seem to know how to do. So that did you know that. that this was originally a DS game with beautiful sprite work? Are, are you saying that the polygons here are perhaps not very charming? No, you couldn't be saying that. No, I'd never. I also have to say that once he's revealed himself, our main antagonist really looks like some strange fusion of Gene Simmons and David Bowie. <laughs> I keep waiting for him to break out in a punk rock rendition of something, but he doesn't. Nevertheless, I I will probably have to chime in with a second opinion on this, because right now we have our three and a half review from Adrian, and that's the only thing on it for the site. Whoop. I'm going to, I sense, Mr. Apps, that three and a half is slightly higher than you would rank it, but I I'm, don't know where I'm getting this sensation. It, it must be I, a random vibe. I would probably have to rec- recuse myself from ever assigning a score to this game. <laughs> well, the plot has, after it gave me a good hour or so of cutscenes in the middle, the plot just keeps rolling along. Um I'm not done with it, and we'll probably be talking about it in the near future, so I feel like I shouldn't talk too much on its subject right now, but it's... uh, This sounds like betrayal. (laughs) I don't even really dislike it. It's just a strange game which makes a lot of odd choices. When I played it, I was just very bored. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember finishing it. I I tried to play it. Got like halfway through and just kind of faded on it. Maybe I've been inflicting too much pain on myself recently, although I haven't played an Idea Factory game all year. In spite of Mac trying to to foist off, what is this thing? Mary <laughs> uh, Skelter Nightmares. He keeps offering this review code, and I keep looking and thinking, what could that be? Oh, right, it's an Idea Factory game. No. But my uh, idea- you get to... You get to clean Idea the blood. Idea Factory Wizardry oh. Clone. Yeah. Idea Factory. It could go wrong here. I mean, you oh, get to. Oh, yeah. Clone. A first person dungeon crawler from Idea Factory. How good could it be? It'll probably be good enough to make me want to smash my head through the window and. I believe there's a lot of scantily clean. clad ladies in it, too. Yeah, and Mike, you get to clean the blood off of them when it splatters on them. Wow. Cassandra, scantily clad ladies in an Idea Factory game? Just like the Agarest games? Oh, wow! Be still, my heart. How can I ever stop myself? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to chime in and, and tell Max, send me that code right now. How could I have ignored this beautiful, wonderful, spectacular, delightful thing? Which... No one else has claimed for some reason until now. Why could that be? Everyone else must be just missing out. I don't know. Hey, to I, fair, I'm totally, like, I'm totally to isolating that segment game. and mailing it to to Max Storm. <laughs> <laughs> but Anna can't do reviews anymore because she works for. Uh, it's the company that does Harvest Moon, no, and I can't not remember. Not to, to me. Thank you. Oh well. Yes. Well, if Anna feels like trying to chime in with a review on it, then go for it. Or maybe I will see what else Mac has available. Oh, wait. He has, uh, what is this? Hyaki Castle. 
which is uh, some some roguelike. Because we all know how much I've loved all the roguelikes I've played in the past, right, Phil? Oh yeah, yeah. You, yeah. I think you gave like an average of four point five out of five to them. Yeah, just just look at how much I loved Fatal Labyrinth, which is for some reason on that Genesis collection, which is in GameStop, and enticed me while I waited for fifteen minutes in line before saying I can do this faster somewhere else. Thank you for nothing, GameStop. It's wow, I'm getting really. I'm getting really vitriolic tonight for some reason. I don't even know why. It's like the it's like an episode of the Angry Video Game Nerd right here on the RPG cast. <laughs> don't the know why. Strong in this one. Hey, the, the the nerd has put out what a dozen videos this year. He's really been on fire lately. He has like been cranking them out the last few months. I've noticed. They've been really good too. Yeah, yeah I've been enjoying them. Like he hasn't even done a Christmas one yet, so he's bound to have something else soon. But uh, we sidetrack. Anything else for you, Mr. Minky? Um, I have not seen The Last Jedi yet. That will probably be changed by the time this episode is indexed. Instead, I decided to watch Rocky Three for the first time. <laughs> the movie Always. with the credit introducing Mr. T. <laughs> and yes, he does. Of course he does. But he only does it once because he's... He's being introduced in this movie. He doesn't want to overdo it. No, no, no. You can't become cliche too quickly. So, yeah, that's what I watched recently. It was fun. I think I'm done now. Go for it, Phil. Cool. So, uh, let's see here. Of course, I've been playing uh, my share of Xenoblade Chronicles and a couple of other things, but all Mr. Apps cares about is what I'm playing on my 3DS. That's all Apps cares about. Because I've been bitten by the bug, and it's got me hard, Mike. It, it won't let me go. I I can't stop the morphine drip. Like I just can't turn it off. It started with the whole "Hey, just come play this demo on the PlayStation Four. You're a PS Plus member. You got exclusive access. Do you see where I'm going with this? I don't actually. Oh my gosh, <laughs> really? I I I'm, I have to say I'm shocked because I know what I was doing last weekend, what every hardcore Monster Hunter fan was doing last weekend with their PlayStation Four. Oh, you're Monster Huntering! Oh, they were playing God. Monster Hunter Worlds, and oh my gosh, that was so much fun! That demo was so much fun, uh, and and it's so much faster and prettier and smoother. And it just it just flows so well. Now I played some of the 3DS, you know, uh, Monster Hunter for Ultimate back in the day, but I, I I really didn't get into it. But after playing the PlayStation, it was like, but I gotta have more. I've gotta have more. It's just a demo. It just has three missions and stuff. And it was really funny because some of my younger friends who are in Dark Souls, and we talk about sometimes how Monster Hunter is kind of the original Dark Souls because uh, you're taking on these big bosses and you know these big monsters, and it's about patterns. But it's more than that too. It's about preparing and sometimes laying down the right traps, knocking off pieces, and things like that. Um, it was really interesting because my friends who would attack it like, you know, who, who are experts at Demon Souls and whatever have you, you know, would get to that advanced mission and would struggle with it. And they had to call their friends and that was their way. And I'm like, really? Because all I did was, you know, I just took care of it. I laid down traps and for, you know, I talked to my friends who was struggling and I'm like, you know, he's like, yeah, I had to get some other people. That, that last mission was too hard. I'm like, 
Okay, so when you walk into the cave and Pumpkin, whatever that dinosaur was, the one that looks like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, I always forget their names. But I mean, Pumpkin was there sleeping. Did you even think about pulling the explosive barrels she had in your inventory, maybe sticking them by his head and using that for a wake-up call? Because <laughs> that was fun. That is always fun. Yeah, it's always a blast, if you know what I mean. So I really enjoyed the demo. And so I went back to load up my, my <coughs> DS, and I'm now in the cycle. And I'm, like, upgrading my armor, and I'm sharing those pictures with friends, and looking more like, look like, uh, more like a badass, and carving up more pieces and doing more missions. And I went on a trip, and I have my Switch with me, and I have a lot of good games on the Switch, all the ones you guys have heard about, oh, how awesome the Switch is. And I have my 3DS, and I put three quarters of my time into 3DS playing Monster Hunter. Mm. So I, I just, I can't, and you know, I, I, I said to myself, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't Mr. Apps the guy who's really into this game? Cause you know, I, I kind of confuse people sometimes. So I went and looked at your Twitter and when you look up ask wheels and MH four U, whatever the acronym is for monster hunter four, uh, you had like, I don't know, something like two dozen tweets with that hashtag. So you have like, okay, I got the right guy. I got the right guy. Yeah. He'll be excited to know that uh, I'm back into it. I'm talking people into it. I talk with my friends at work at pre-ordering uh, Monster Hunter Worlds with me. So I have a, a, a party person to play with. Uh, and and my wife is very interested in the game, but only to play for 30 minutes. Because to her, this is just a $60 create-a-cat game. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen, you can look at the, uh, the Palico trailer. That's what they call your cat companions. Uh, in Monster Hunter games, Palicos. And if you go online, you can go to YouTube and look at the Palico trailers for Monster Hunter. But if you've never played a Monster Hunter game, uh, they're they're just really deep and really awesome. And one of the things I like about them is you really do, you don't level up. You get better, you, you become a, a better hunter by learning to play the game well and turning the monsters that you defeat into pieces of armor and learning how to plan out your battles and setting traps. And in a way, it's kind of that same formula that i find very addictive about horizon zero dawn there are some very difficult battles in that game especially playing harder difficulty levels but whether or not you plan ahead of time lay down the right traps quaff the right potions and have a game strategy set up before you initiate the attack usually makes the difference between success and failure of those titles and that's what i really like about monster hunter it really is all about you know your preparation uh, and preparing for some of those tougher fights. And that's why I was able to defeat those advanced missions without too much of an issue. Whereas some of the, you know, my younger friends were just like, I want to demon souls this if I just dodge enough. You know, I- I'm sure I can get this. And it's just like, no, you got a shock trap for a reason. You can, you can jump on his back. You can knock him down. You got to chop at his legs so he limps around so he can't, you know, stomp all over you as fast or knock off a piece or something. Uh, so, uh, and boy, oh boy, the 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 way that you know when you're doing some of those hunts, how the like when you're hunting down the Tyrannosaurus at one point, he as he ran away, and I went to chase after him. As I caught up with him, he was in a scuffle with another smaller creature, and he just grabs that smaller creature by the teeth and flings him around like a chew toy, and it distracts T Rex long enough for me to to go and get some really solid hits while he's busy. Uh, that interaction is something that I don't remember seeing in Monster Hunter 4. I mean, you would sometimes see, you know, a monster kind of surrounded by other smaller monsters, and it kind of reminded me of World of Warcraft, where when you had two NPCs that were 
fighting each other. They look like those animatronics in Disney where their hands are moving, but no one's actually hitting each other. <laughs> That's what it hap- it'll happen it? in Monster Hunter 4. Um, one cool thing I remember is when you weaken a monster and they like try to run off, uh-huh. a lot of times they'll like actually go and kill some of the smaller monsters to eat to like okay. restore their energy. And that's the one thing, like, you know, when you see the graphical difference between Monster Hunter 4 on a 3DS, uh, plus there's a few years, obviously, and the PlayStation 4, you might get this impression that these two are leagues apart. But going back and playing, you know, after playing the demo and going back and playing Monster Hunter 4, <laughs> I'm like reminded how many of those mechanics are actually in Monster Hunter 4. Yeah. You know, like the, the combat's very solid. It's very addictive. The upgrade path, it's all there. So. Yeah, like- when I went fired up the demo, it was like playing a, it was like you know riding a bike. It barely yeah. had to make any adjustment. In fact, I actually didn't even play that much of the demo because it's like it, to me it was just like okay, they did exactly what I was hoping for. Yeah, yeah, they did it. Yeah, I think there was a big concern that maybe they're going to modernize it and and make it too too wide stream appeal. And certainly, there's there's clearly some conveniences in there. Like I noticed how when I gather certain things, it automatically would upgrade my potions instead of me having to go into the screen and combine it yeah. to make a mega potion. Uh, and the way the tracking the monster does when he runs away works, so uh, it feels more organic and it's a little yeah. more easier to do. The- I didn't have to throw a paintball. It, you know. it seemed like they did all. They made all the right improvements. Obviously, getting rid of the area transitions has been oh, long yeah. overdue to Phew. one wide open area, uh, and just you know, it, it was great to see. Especially if, after I was pretty disappointed with uh, generations. So, um, yeah, yeah, not worried at all at this point. No, no, super cool. And and being a, a an insect glaive lover myself, I just felt like that that was working a lot more fluidly. Oh yeah, that was uh, yeah yep. yeah, and, and and yeah, super super cool. Uh, so I might have to ask you to stay after the podcast because I need some specific advice. I feel like I'm talking to an expert now, and so I apologize, but I actually have to jump off right now. <laughs> no, but you got to tell me how to beat this whatever rock monster. There's got to be a secret. Uh, <laughs> Uh, hit me up on hit, uh, on some sort of social media platform. Know, right? yeah. at, at Ask Wheels, boys and girls, you can yeah. ask all your Monster Hunter questions. Uh, by the way, did you ever? I just know. I mean, just looking through your tweets, I, I saw you mentioning the fourth, like the fourth uh, tier of quests. Did you? Did how far did you get in the game? Uh, I got through. I think all the high end stuff. I didn't get to like the the G rank, the highest rank quests. Um, don't remember exactly why. Probably I got a little burnt out playing through the game twice. Because what I did was uh, I played it for, for review with a download code, which was fine. But I have more than one 3DS, so w- when the game was actually out, I took my cart version and played over from the beginning and played it all the way through again. So uh, I'm actually due to go back to it sometime soon. What was your What was your favorite weapon? My favorite weapon, I think, was the insect glaive. Yeah, I'm enjoying that or enjoying that it. or the charge blade. I switched. Oh my gosh! A lot. You're my soul brother. <laughs> I'm switching between the two a lot. Those are my two favorite weapons. So uh, I will totally name my next character after you. Uh, so <laughs> my, my, my next cat, my next was cat, the gun lance. That was the one that really got me into the series. Yeah. But I like the, I like the insect glaive. Aside from buffing myself, the fact that I can just catapult myself onto the monster's back is super awesome. I feel like Donatello from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's awesome. And uh, uh, and I'm uh, the only thing that confuses me how the whole upgrade part 
you know, works with that. I'm having to go to Wikipedia, which feels like I'm going to U- Cornell University to figure out how to upgrade that sucker. Oh. Oh, yeah, I never really figured that either. I kind of just threw stuff at at it and hoped for the best. Hope for the best. Uh, Whereas the charge blade, so in case y'all don't know, essentially it's a sword sword and shield, but as you beat beat down the monster, you block attacks, it charges up. You kind of almost like at that point have to load it like a gun because it will light up and tell you it's time to reload, and then it'll flash red. And then you're ready to basically transform it, the shield and the sword merge together into this big, huge, badass axe that makes uh, Cloud Sword look like a toothpick. And it just carved through monsters. Now, it is very slow, like a great axe would be, so you do need to time and plan this. Usually, one of my favorite things to do is to save up the charges when I got the monster on the run, and heaven forbid he decides to go and take a nap somewhere. I just come and give him a, you know, a big two-handed wake-up call and cleave his skull into two. And it's very satisfying when normally there's usually an extra, you know, when a monster goes and rests up, you know you've probably, he's still got like at least a third of his life or a quarter of his life and you still got some fight ahead of you. But there's been times where I've just finished the battle right then and there uh, by doing that combo with the axe there towards the end. So it's very, very sad. That part is very, very satisfying as well. Just transforming your sword and shield into this gigantic badass axe and cleaving through with these wide sweeping attacks. It just doesn't get old. So that's pretty cool. Yep, yep. And for you, Mr. Minky, I got a disheartening, heart-wrenching story. Speaking of my trip to California. On that note, guys, have a good night. Yeah, have a good one. Good night. Good night. So, so, okay, so, so you, he drops out, and you tell me a horrible story. Great, I, this is I, this is sounding great already. A disheartening story. Hey, Phil, want me to tell you about the dead bird I saw on the road yesterday? It's it's worse than that. Uh, so, so you know, you, you I mean, because I I feel like I'm I'm pointing the story at you because you know my history with this series and my problems and my struggles. So the other 3DS game I took with me on my trip is Dragon Quest VII. And I'm about 20 hours in. I'm still waiting for the fun part, but I just kind of keep dipping <laughs> away at it here and there. And I feel like after what you told me, I'm on the cusp of finally getting to the class-changing system and maybe some part of the plot that I actually care about. So, so, so I took that with me, but I got so hooked on Monster Hunter. Now, I have my Switch with me. My Switch is in a case, and it has little places to put the games in. But the the, 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 the little spaces don't hold a 3DS game. They're too big. So I had put that into the bigger pouch where I had the cables and such. So when I went into On the Way flying out, and I had to go into the TSA line, they asked me to take the Switch <laughs> out because it was bigger than a cell phone. They asked me to, like, pull it out of my bag. So I of opened course. Of course. So I opened up the case and just kind of left a face to open in its own bin. The problem was, is I went through the scanner and I got out, you know, waiting for all of my, you know, for my carry on and my, my stuff in the bins to come down, like the conveyor belt. Well, I don't, I've never seen this happen before, but they were pushing so hard. Somebody was shoving things so hard that the bins all flipped over and were stacking on top of each other. So all of my wallet and everything was – so I quickly am like picking up my wallet before some cash falls out or I lose my IDs or credit cards or something. And I'm picking this stuff. I'm just kind of shoving my pockets and I'm frustrated. But, who, you know, security people don't care. And so what can I do? I fly out and I'm in the airplane and I pull up my 3DS. I'm like, oh, it's time to play some dra- Dragon Qu- Wait, where's my game? And what? I look all over and I can't find it. And I just look at Shirley and I'm like, mother – Amberstan! And I'm like – my game's missing. My game's missing. 
I've yes, lost another on the floor of the TSA area. And I'm like, I've lost another. Isn't this like the third or fourth time I've lost a Dragon Quest game in well, progress? Didn't you lose your entire DS along with Dragon Quest Four? I lost Dragon Quest Four cartridge at one point. I lost the entire thing with the cartridge. I've had to start that game over like several times. It's like Dragon Quest games are already slow and methodical as it is, but to have to restart them after two hours or two dozen hours of investment. I just can't do it. I just don't think I can play 7. I think I'm just going to move on to 8, Mike, because it's not buying another copy. That's not the big deal. I mean, I hate the time. It's the time. I just don't have a lot of time in my life. So I was just like, mother, and I was like swearing. I was like, calm down. It's okay. It's not okay. That's my head spinning around my, you know, in in circles doing uh, 720. I just so, like I just can't keep a hold of these Dragon Quest games. I think that's the universe trying to tell you something that you yeah. just need to move on. Well, I, and, I wanted to be able to say I completed every single game in the Dragon Quest series, and ah, uh, uh, eight's the better game anyway. I'm well, really hoping that I, eleven goes back to the eight formula because when nine kind of did the vignette thing, it was like. You had an excellent story with eight. Why did you go back to this vignette stuff? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's. I guess that's what's kind of getting old. I mean, I guess you're right. I think my problem with nine, because you're right. I haven't even gotten through nine. It's still sitting in my DS. You know, kind of halfway done. But every time I go back to, it, I'm like, eh, eh. And part of the reason is you're right. There's not really a good overarching story plotline really pulling you through it sees a bunch of these little adventure here a little adventure there which has always been a part of any of the dragon quest experiences but like in dragon quest 4 i at least cared enough about the party and the characters and uh, you know eventually saving the world and what was going on there that you know i saw it through but you know but uh you know and five had the family growing up and what was going to happen with them and you cared about that to where you got through the different town little problems but you know, kind of was complimentary, but it feels like it feels like with Dragon Quest Seven, Dragon Quest Nine, there's too much peanut butter in this peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and it's really <laughs> sticking in my mouth. And and then just looking for something to drink, so I go play more Monster Hunter. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I don't. I do not recommend liquefying your Monster Hunter so that you can literally drink it. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yes, that's that's been uh, that's been my my frustration uh, lately. Just just not super fun. But yeah, look super looking forward to that. I need to play, and I do need to play the. Speaking of Horizon Zero Dawn, I got the expansion, started playing it, but I really need to to, to spend some time with it. I'm sure it can't be that long. It's just a DLC expansion. How long can it possibly be? So I love that game, Horizon Zero Dawn. By the way. We're not doing Game of the Year awards on Backtrack. We really should. We should, like, do, like, our top games of the year, which would include any retro games we played. But, uh, man, I, I really enjoyed Horizon Zero Dawn this year. Do, do you really want just two hours of me gushing about why Persona 5 is the best game ever made and anybody that says that otherwise is wrong? I, you know, I, every time Smith says Persona, I can think about the Carousel of Life. Hey, Kelly, Persona it, Q. it is way too early to have Persona 5 on the Backtrack, and you know it. We are not within the two-year rule yet. Okay, well, t- two years, we got a date. There you go. And, uh, with, and with that, I need to go to bed. Yeah. Well, uh, good night. Good good to have you. No, th- thanks for having me. It was a fun talk. I'm glad that we had a nice little discussion about Xenoblade. Xenoblade talk! And, yeah, absolutely, you have a great night. And, See and you that's, guys. And good that's, night. Good night. 
And along those uh, along those lines, yeah, definitely more Xenoblade in my future. And eventually, that's what got me speaking. I forget who else mentioned it. I think it was Apps who said Xenoblade Chronicles Two has pushed him back to look at Xenoblade uh, Chronicles X, whatever the hell it's called. And for me, it was like, oh. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is out. Maybe I should go back and play the first one, especially since we're doing an RPG backtrack on it. So glad that I did. Uh, Alrighty. Well, I think that's about it. We'll go ahead and wrap this up by once again reminding everybody that RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards. Uh, shoot us off an email and help shape our future shows. Our email addresses are right there on the site underneath our staff. Or just hit me up on Twitter at JC Servant or at Jumisign. J-U-M-E-S-Y-N. Um... Uh, and the such. Mr. Apps is ask, at Asqueels. Cassandra's at Strawberry Eggs. Uh, Jarpender. It, isn't it Strawberry Eggs? Scarp. Just Berry Eggs. Oh, Just Berry Eggs. Yeah, well, That's a just, long way. Just, at, just, at Just Berry Eggs. No, 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 not the Just <laughs> Just Berry. Oh, Just Berry. Okay, so uh. at Just Berry. Never uh, mind. And uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Jarpender is at Scarp. So you can hit us all up on social media. Don't ask for people who just... Somebody left. I forgot their hand. Um, but I'm sure you can find it. So just go and, and, and hit us up. We love to hear from you. We love to hear your comments and questions and all that other fun stuff. Thank you so much for listening. If you hung out this long, what you're going to get after this is a... You know, whatever music I couldn't fit into between the segments, I will be putting at the end of the show. You can expect there to be some extra music after this because it's so good. And possibly some more assorted curses uh, at AT&T for making a muck of the, of the early audio attempts. <laughs> right? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Mr. Miki. Do you have any words to put us to bed with? I would say that if you are in fact living on a gigantic creature, it, it would probably be unwise to antagonize that creature or attempt to tickle it in any kind of way that might in fact lead to your entire world tumbling off. But that's just me. Good night. Good night.